Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C-Certified Bluehead, and welcome to episode 59 of Beer and Other Shit, the podcast, adjunct series, quarantine edition. This evening, we have another incredible episode with phenomenal guests, but before we bring them in, we have got to show love to our sponsor once again, Dr. Nick's Amazing Man Stuff. These guys are a uh, beard product company out of Massachusetts. Um, these guys are phenomenal. So if you've, uh, we had a podcast with uh, the owner, Nick, Dr. Nick, I don't know if he's really a doctor, uh, a few weeks ago, and he sort of broke it all down. So essentially, these guys are all American-made essential oils, like the expensive stuff, no cheap fragrance oils that irritate your skin. Um, they make predominantly beard oil with a, a series called Beard Beer that are actually modeled after beers, uh, IPA and Stout so far. And they, uh, they're working with super large breweries in the States, Lawson's, Treehouse, Trillium, Vitamin C, stuff like that to actually create beer, um, oils based on their beers. But this evening, I want to specifically talk about, I've been trying to you know, highlight a different product each week. Um, this is their Beard Stick or Beard Balm, their signature series. This stuff is pretty dope, yo. I never really heard of this before. And I never wore, never wore, never used, oh, there's hair on there. That's gross. Anyway, I can see it. Basically, a little stick. You see, you know, I'm actually using this shit. I've been using this stuff since January, and um, I'm not a beard product guy, but I've been loving this stuff. So basically, in you know, this one is their number seven scent. They have a seven and a nine. It's it says lemon, lime zest, citrus fruit, and pine. It's super super dope. They get all of their uh, essential oils from Hawaii from a Reiki master yeah. who like blesses it and shit. Um, it's super cool. Uh, Nick said he likes pairing this one with their IPA beard beer, which is when you put the oil on first and then you just kind of like scrape this on. Best part about the beard balms though is the hair apparently only takes what it needs. So you can go nuts and put it on, but it'll just stop taking it. The hair just takes what it requires. So I've been really enjoying these and you know, mixing up the scents and stuff. And you know, this is, I'll talk about probably these ones next, next week. The other, uh, the other beard oils, but um, definitely go grab them. The link is in that description. We have a discount, BAOS21, and that'll get you 15% off your order. They ship everywhere. I think it's um, free shipping if order's over 40 bucks within North America at least. So definitely worth it. Super cool people, hyper-local. They have a craft beer mentality. We don't do sponsor stuff uh, basically at all, really. Um, it's very few and far between. So when we do, we do it because we believe in it. So with that said, check them out. Now, this evening, this is a, a, an episode, I think I've tried to get this going a few years ago and the timing didn't work. Obviously, this is not how um, you know, we prefer to bring someone, for, someone on for the first time, but we do what we, you know, we work with what we got. So this evening, mate, get ready, get your beers ready. We have Dan from Le Castor and Noah from Beerism in the Building. Boys, welcome, 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 welcome. How you doing? Good. Good. Yourself? Thanks for having me on. Delightful. Man. Genuine pleasure, man. Noah, welcome back. It's been a minute. Um, it Dan, has. It has been too long. And Dan, it's uh, overdue, my bro. I'm, uh, I'm glad to finally get you on. You guys have, uh, you know, been extraordinarily impactful in Quebec. So it's, you know, it's great to finally get that, you know, the story firsthand. Um, with, sorry, continue, sir. Yeah, well... It's been a while. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? We, it has. Uh, we I think talked we spoke. about it years ago, and yeah. ironically, it takes a pandemic to bring us together. <laughs> so, Isn't that the way? It, yeah. So, uh, no, we're really uh, glad to finally have a 
chance to do a more of a long format chat. Yes, definitely. And, and you know, being that you and Noah already had a relationship and, you know, he's been uh, one of your big proponents, you know, around me and, and you're always uh, showing love to your stuff and really made me understand the impact what you had. So it kind of made sense to have Noah on tonight. So, you know, get a bit of a different perspective. So I'm, I'm generally excited for this chat and I'm also excited to crack the beer. So we have a, a nice lineup, uh, Dan. So you're gonna, you are not participating, which I respect, but um, yeah, I am. God damn it! Um, nice. Tell us about this one, man. This is we're starting with the crispy boy, obviously. Well, yeah. So you guys are having Kaz back. I can, uh, and um, so yeah. I mean, I guess for people that don't know the brewery. Um, we started a series, um, last fall, um, uh, called the progression series. And it was kind of in response to the way we feel the market's been evolving over the last few years. Right. Um, and you know, we've always, we've always been a brewery that's kind of not put out, you know, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of new releases a year, we, we kind of put them out on a less regular basis. And our whole philosophy behind the brewery from day one has been to, uh, because we're not open to the public and we don't sell any product, any beer on site directly to consumers, mm-hmm. it's a hundred percent through a distribution network. We've, we've, we had this kind of uh, mindset of if we introduce a new brand that we want to be able to distribute that across our entire network properly so that everyone in Quebec has a has a chance, has a crack at all, you know, all of our beer lineup. And so that's why, you know, we don't we don't have hundreds of beers in our portfolio. We're we're pretty conservative in, in terms of how many new beers we put out per year. Right. Um, but the last few years, I mean the landscape in in craft beer has has really evolved. It's really changed quite a bit. Um, I mean people people have always been um, the, the excitement of chasing down new beers, it's always been there uh, since we've opened. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm sure long before that, um, we opened in 2012. Um, but, wow. but lately it seems that the, uh, the culture for, for newness and new offerings has, has really gone into kind of uh, overdrive. So um, we were kind of holding ourselves back, long story short, because of our I guess our approach to, to distributing beers and wanting to, to make sure every beer we put out is, is perfectly properly distributed to, to all of our customers. We kind of had to um, get out of our own way a little bit and change our mindset. And because we did, we, we did want to experiment more. Um, We, we wanted to take advantage of newer hops that are coming to market. Uh, We're seeing huge experimentation, kind of exponential, uh, amounts of new hop varieties that are coming onto the marketplace. It's it's amazing. The hop the hop breeders are now almost like microbreweries. It seems like they're putting out a new hop every month. <laughs> um, it's true, and it's you know it's hard to keep up, but it's it's also really it's really interesting. Um, it's a it's a fascinating evolution to what's happened, and we just kind of felt like we were a bit too much on the outside looking in. Um, you know, we're we're trying to trying to distribute the beers we put out fully, it's a noble, it's kind of a noble idea or it was, you know, to us because we, you know, we didn't, we didn't want to leave anyone out essentially. Um, 
but we, we just had to say, listen, like that's going to kind of get in the way of us uh, trying out new hop varieties, uh, trying out new ideas. And just we wanted to set up a platform where we could do that and, and also um, essentially fail, uh, you know, have ideas go to market. And if, if they weren't a total success, that's cool. Um, so we, we set up a label that's basically the same label design for every beer. And all we do is we change the name of the beer, uh, and, and we, and the graph the, the colors of the label. And so we're not investing basically all this time in artwork for every single time we want to put out a new beer. Um, because sometimes, you know, you can, you can put quite a lot of effort into the artwork. You're really happy with it. You've got a nice concept for the beer and the name and the art and everything. You spent hours and hours, and then let's be honest, the beer doesn't do what you'd hoped it would do in the marketplace. And you're like, well, we're not going to brew that one again. Right. Um, so we we wanted a platform where it's okay to to it's okay to to not you know kill it with every single offering. It's like we're trying out new ideas, we're trying out new ingredients, and um, the risks and consequences to doing that were less for the brewery essentially. Um, and, and obviously the flip side is, you know, we get to share, um, you know, these experiments and, and ideas with, with, with beer drinkers. So that's kind of where, where the whole progression series, um, came about is we just, we just felt like we weren't connecting enough with beer consumers and, and moving quickly enough. Hmm. So that's um, super ca- interesting. Cas- yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know if that jives with what you guys have seen in the marketplace, Hundred um, percent, as well 100%. over the last few years. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about what you guys did, and I mean, between me and 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 you know, circles of beer friends and whatever, there was always. I like the uh, how you put that. It there was like a nobility to it almost, and I kind of felt that way in the sense that you were producing such quality stuff that you could actually just go get pretty much any time you wanted and the distro was so good that like i saw saison rayer sitting uh in an uh like in a, a super c or something you know and i was just like wow this is a, yeah. this is a shelfie yeah. you know what i mean like that's <laughs> that's really something yeah um you know when we live in this climate where if if people are like trading their grandmothers in to get the latest oval um saison when in our backyard we had saison rayer, which, in my opinion, is is uh, is up there. You know, I'm not going to say which one I like more, or what, but like it's not far off. If it, you know what I mean, like it's it's the same spectrum. Um, so it, there was always like a, I always had a respect for the, for the fact that you guys could do that and that you did it well. <clears throat> but like as you said, um, the climate's changed more and more. People are pumping out. Um, beers every week that are brand new. So yeah, it makes sense that you, you you took that step. But I think what what you're doing, and I'm seeing it with a lot of other breweries too, is you're kind of do, going somewhere in between where you're having a, like a series that you can save a bit of money on the artwork and whatever, and then experiment. And I think the culture of beer geeks uh, right now allows for a certain level of failure because I think there's a mutual understanding that you can't pump out perfection every two weeks. So you know, I, th- I think if someone goes out and buys one of the progressive series and they're like, oh, I don't love that. I don't think it taints your brand like it might have, I don't know, a decade ago or if it even did back then. I don't know. But I feel like the culture is a bit more accepting of that now. Yeah. Yeah. And also and this is great. And you can definitely. Oh, well, cheers. Genuinely. Um, 
you can you can definitely take it too far, can't you? I mean, um, yeah, you know this 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 platform we created um, is a lot of fun, um, and <laughs> it's allowing us to get these ideas out. But we're we're also conscious of the fact that um, you know there there has to be some fatigue on the part of the consumer too, and you know I wouldn't like we've had a couple months this year where we put out uh like three new beers or something in a month like for us that's outrageous like we've in the history of the brewery we've never done that right but some breweries that's that's a normal month they they put out one or two brands a week you know especially maybe breweries that only sell to the public um it's just the mm-hmm. way they do business and you know you can't push it too far and i do sympathize like there's sometimes when i'm about to hit you know post on facebook and i'm just like man i sorry post and then you know you see the comments and you're just like you know damn you know like you know there goes whatever however many dollars this week and it i i can i can feel a bit of the fatigue from certain people out you know who are buying beers on a regular basis and here we are kind of contributing to that proliferation and that super saturated market so i'm i am aware that we're part of the problem but you know at the same time um, it is what it is. This is, this is the, the market we live in. And, um, so th- that's, that's where it comes from. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna keep doing it as long as, as long as it's useful already in the series. I think we started in October or November. I think we have, I want to say eight beers that we've put on this progression series label. Um, and there's already, you know, two or three that, um, we're kind of thinking we could divert over to, to have now their own proper identity. Cool. So they'll, they'll, they'll have their own label, their own name and identity. And then, you know, they might not become a full-time beer. Um, it's likely they won't. Well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe, maybe they will, maybe they won't, but they, they'll at least be a rotating and they'll have their own identity. So it's, we'll take them off the, the progression label and, and put them into their, um, their own proper identity. So that's kind of the idea. It's kind of like, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, you know, a minor leagues or whatever you want to call it, or a, or a proving ground for, for certain ideas. And, and if, if they prove, you know, to, if they produce a bit of a loyal following, then, then we'll take it from there. So um, I've, I've noticed other breweries um, have also recently done similar things. So it's not, I don't think it's, it's not a unique idea by any means. Um, and it looks like other people or other brewers are having, you know, similar thoughts. Um, I've seen it from a couple, you know, big big microbreweries in Quebec as well so um yeah yeah man I love it I think it's dope there's a couple of comments even like Guillaume saying team Castor I knew I knew there'd be some fans coming through tonight and Hop Citizen <laughs> what's up bro he said loving the progression series I, I definitely agree that I think that I, I wouldn't worry too much about the saturation or that you know like contributing towards that being that your volume is so small I think it's um <clears throat> what you're doing is 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 keeping that excitement in the brand by offering something fun and new and small batch that you know whilst like Noah said you can get these yeah. incredible beers year round that people obviously always love there is that appetite for something new in beer wherever the hell that came from so I think all you're doing is playing a small role in just being like well you do have to play that game it's a business at the end of the day but you're just like you're dribbling mm-hmm. stuff out and it's like you said you did three in one month which was unheard of most of those breweries that you're referring to do four a week so you know it's not even in the same conversation i would, I would say no that's it it's um 
It is. It's just, it's quite, it's, it's quite a lot for us. It's uh, but again, like, I, like we've come from the absolute end of the spectrum where you produce fewer beers, but you distribute the heck out of all of them and every customer in Quebec gets it. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, these, these progression beers, they're still widely available. They still go to the four corners of Quebec. Um, they're not held back from any regions. It's just that you're not going to see them in every IGA and Metro <laughs> and, and the bigger stores. They're, they're going to be in all the specialty dipeners and, and the IGAs and Metros that might want them. Right. Um, so they are still well distributed. Um, but like I said, it's, it's just more about, you know, being a fertile ground for experimentation and, and trying out new ingredients. Um, so yeah, the first, the first one, the first couple that we put out were, were New England style IPAs. Um, and then, and then I think perhaps the one you're drinking now came out, the Kazbek. Okay. Um, the other, the other thing, I mean, part of trying out new ingredients for us is, is actually for the first time in the brewery's history is using uh, non-organic ingredients. So I was going to um, ask about that. Yeah. So, so basically, like, like a, a good portion of the progression beers are they use 100% organic ingredients. But again, I you know didn't want to go through the process of of officially certifying them organic because the whole idea is speed, flexibility, get it to market fast. Right. And, and, you know, doing the paperwork for that just didn't fit in. So some of the, you have to read the ingredients to see if it's, if it's a hundred percent or not organic, it says in the ingredients. Um, gotcha. So the cat, the Kazbek, for example, that you're mm. drinking um, is using hops. We've never had the chance to use before um, yeah. because we've never seen them in organic. So um, Kazbek, there's also there's also Sladek in there too, um, and uh, and Saz, and Saz late. So it's I guess it's you know it's a derivative of, of Saz. Um, and and we and again you know in the spirit of you know trying to trying to really highlight the ingredients we dry we dry hop that beer. Um, we don't dry hop our standard Pilsner, so the one that's um, you know our, our core beer Pilsner. We used to, but but we don't we don't do that anymore. This one actually gets a, a decent sized dry hop, kind of mm. similar to what we put in our in our session IPA. Not not um, not an insignificant dry hop. You can tell. Um, and again, yeah, we're just like you know why not? Mm. It, it yeah. you know it, it might it might be leaning you know you could argue it's mm. maybe leaning a bit too much towards hoppiness rather than, you know, the crispy malt side, but it's, that's okay. You know, it's, um, you know, that was the intention of the beer was to say, say, Hey, what, what happens with these hops that, you know, the noble, the noble style hops, if you can use them in slightly higher quantities and, you know, see what happens. So, um, that was, that was the idea behind that beer, but in terms of the actual kind of grain bill and whatnot, it's pretty, pretty similar to our, to our standard Pilsner that's on the market. And what I what I really like about this one is um, it, it really showcases something that we're you know obviously we're used to that Saz profile in a Pilsner or whatever, and we've I think we've all had like uh, India Pale Lagers or Dry Hop Pils or whatever. But mm-hmm. there's something about this that is is unique in a way that I I don't think I've experienced before. There it's like it has that noble herbal component, but there's mm-hmm. a yeah, a fruitiness I can't put my my finger on that I it's it's hard to even describe. Yeah, they're, it's they're like, a, it's like a slight gla- grassy, earthy, almost yeah. like a 
not not like a fresh cut lawn in the way that you get in IPAs sometimes, but almost like walking yeah. through a forest or something after it rains. Like there's really Jeez. something there. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, it's, it's, very, it's kind of a very <laughs> very quenching beer. It's um, yeah, it's interesting. The 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 size late is kind of known for a bit more of the hoppy uh, aromatics. Um, and then, yeah, you do get those sort of grassy, you know, vegetal, um, you know, more kind of noble characters, um, from, from, from the, um, from the Kazbek. So, um, yeah, what, it's, just, it's just really from? different. Um, well, these are all, these are all from the Czech Republic. Oh, Czech. Okay. Um, yeah, where, where was, I, I believe it was started there. I can't remember. I put the information on our facebook post and that's been a while now so i don't remember um it's fascinating but yeah yeah. but so so Mm -hmm. yeah they're they're not organic hops so this is this was i think one of the first beers we used um without organic hops um other than our aussie land aussie land has uh, some which is a new england style uh ipa with uh australian hops um it, I, I don't. I, it's very hard. I don't even think Australian hops. I haven't seen them in organic, so we had to reduce the certification of that beer. I think to ninety-two percent is Aussie land. So, so basically, you know, we again. This is another kind of shift we've had to make mentally um, towards you know the fall of last year or maybe summer of last year. Was do we you know do we want to keep accepting the restriction of of not having certain ingredients um, because they're unavailable in organic. And, you know, again, due to, due to wanting to, to do new things and to work with new ingredients and also um, stay part of a vibrant market, we just said, look, we're just going to have to um, go down that path. And, and, and we think that's fine um, because, you know, 99% of what comes out of the brewery is still certified organic, but to, to try out, you know, hops from Australia, or Ballatin cherries from uh, from from Michigan, um, or these new varieties of hops from Czech, Czech Republic. We we have to accept that. Well, we just can't get them in organic. So it's that's that's something that we we decided to do. Hmm. I love that. With yeah. regard to organic, um, obviously in Quebec, you were either the first or one of the first to do organic uh, beers and. I can imagine that the prices for the ingredients are higher than non-organic, and um, I don't recall if the what you charge the public reflects that. Like in the sense of, is your standard blah 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 the same, a little bit pricier than the other breweries' standard blah blah blah? But I imagine mm-hmm. at this point, with IPAs becoming so expensive, um, or beer in general. Uh, have you had to kind of make concessions with that? Because I don't find that your New Englands are uh, particularly more expensive than others on the market. Um, so I was just curious, like, did you have to kind of make concessions or did you just like, are you just charging like slightly more now or, or did you ever at all? I, mean, I don't even know. No, I mean, we, from day one, um, we we made a decision with the brewery, my partner and I, um, 
I mean, like for like, organic ingredients are going to cost more, right? That's that's just a fact. Um, but I have to be honest with you. I, I something that we saw on the market is there there does seem to be some gouging by companies that put out organic stuff, <laughs> and and it, it you know if it's a small bespoke farm, you know, mom and pop farm, then that's that's totally fair, right? Um, but when you see, um, I, I don't know. I don't want to throw a big name under the bus, but let's say Tostitos. Okay. Now they have organic salsa and all of a sudden it's 40% more than the non-organic salsa. Hmm. You don't think Tostitos has unbelievable buying power. Like, yeah. so it kind of, it kind of irritated us when you go into the stores and it's just like, really like 50 to 60% more on occasion for organic, whatever the product was. Hmm. So we, we said right off the bat that, um, you know, we, we decided to be organic um, just for philosophical reasons. That's it. We never talk about it. We never trumpet it. We don't, it's, it's just there on the label in a small word. It says organic. We don't talk about it. We don't like using it as some sort of um, marketing um, messaging. It's, it's just what we want to do. So, um, but we knew that the vast majority of consumers um, were, were not going to be, um, um, they, they wouldn't find that part, you know, compelling enough if the beer wasn't really good. Um, we wanted to take away every reason that people might have for not buying the beer, essentially. So, like, we, if we started in 2012 and we had really good beer, but, oh, it's like, it's like two bucks more a bottle than the other beer that's, you know, we, we wanted to take away that reason. We were like, we don't want these hurdles um, because nobody knew who we were. We didn't want hurdles in the way of, of the consumer. So we said, whatever we do, we got to price our beer in the middle of the road. Um, so not the most expensive. Um, at that time, there was one or two breweries in Quebec that were kind of the, the high end of the, the price spectrum. And then there were others, obviously, there are quite, you know, there's some, some breweries that have excellent uh, price points in Quebec too. We wanted to be in the middle, somewhere, somewhere fair. And we decided that it would be our job to grow and become efficient enough to um, ease our way into that price so that it's profitable rather than charging some ridiculously high price and saying, well, we need to charge that because we're small. Well, the market doesn't care if you're small. Um, the market right. wants value. So we, we, put a, we put a decent value price on the product and it's our job to make sure we can get there and, and become profitable um, at, that, at that price point. That's always been our philosophy. We, we've never looked at, um, what the ingredients cost or, oh, the organic malt went up this year or hops just went up. We've never, ever looked at that. We've always, we've always thought that it's our job to, to grow enough and to be efficient enough so that the pricing works because the consumer just doesn't care and they shouldn't care mm. about the struggles we have sourcing ingredients or the fact that the organics are more expensive. They really don't care. It's not their problem. It's, that's, not, that's, that's not the dialogue you're having with the consumer. The dialogue is... Um, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to engage them through, you know, um, compelling products. That's it. Like we want them to be excited about trying the product, not having to make a, a value-based decision. And well, this is really, really, really expensive. You know, should I do it or not? We just want to take that right out of the kind of process, the buying, mm. the buying process. So that's, that's always been our philosophy about, about pricing. Plus as we've gotten bigger, um, obviously you can start to get economies of scale. So 
you know, we have much better economy of scale than, than, a, than a new brewery. Um, so our pricing mm-hmm. in organics is, pro- is probably better than what they're doing in conventionals. Um, you know, we're buying, we're buying our base malt in bulk now. We have a silo. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a, a helpful um, stepping stone you get to um, when you have the space and, and enough volume to do it. Um, you know, if you have, you, you know, you buy certain amounts of hops and you have contracts and things like that, you, you kind of lock in your pricing. Whereas if, if you're a smaller brewery and you don't have contracts, um, you're going to be buying from the spot market, you know, which is, which is, you know, whatever's available at that given time from whichever, um, seller or reseller. So the prices I've seen prices that are quite a bit higher in the spot market for conventionals than we pay for our contracted organics. And mind you, you know, we have some pretty massive contracts. Um, so, you know, maybe it's not a fair comparison, but that that's, those are the things that help us. So, so right now, you know, it's all about pricing the product um, to where we think it should be in the marketplace. Um, it, but it is tough. It is tough because everything goes up every year. And as a brewery, yeah. we we don't like we don't like price increases. So so we we didn't have a single price increase from twenty from twenty twelve to when we switched to cans. Our bottles were the same price. So exactly the same wow. price for uh, for six or seven years. We absorbed every single price increase because we just felt that you know the beer's expensive enough, you know, and and we're selling in bombers, you know, and it was kind of um, you know it started to become a, a less desirable. Uh, format we could say uh putting it lightly uh, i mean that's a whole other discussion uh bottles and cans um yeah. so yeah we're, we're very we're very resistant to putting prices up we think our beer is expensive enough as it is so we don't want to we don't want it any more expensive than it is so we have to figure out ways to you know um to be efficient you know as, as a brewery and, and that's what we try to do love it um what i want to do run through some quick comments here and then maybe we'll like jump back to the the beginning of the story because uh i definitely want i think it'd be good to get some context for folks who might not know but obviously uh, there's a lot of people tuning in right now uh, so this is great so benoit is saying you have to buy a castle everything they put out is a class act balanced and very well executed i've brought so many people to craft beer with yakima uh which is great Dwayne is like me as well benoit a lot of my friends got into it because i fed them yakima excuse me on tap advices way back uh, which is yeah. dope um, Benoit also saying thank you for not gouging in the prices. Um, <laughs> Guillaume says Castor price is always on point. Saison Rayet, for example, that Noah was talking about before, all the barrel aid stuff, quality for price is crazy, and uh, which is fantastic. And Benoit saying agreed, it's a solid price point following more the GDCL model, brewing great beer at a fair price. So, I mean, look, all everything you just sort of spoke about in detail, Dan, is not going unnoticed, um, yeah, by the people, it is not. Um, yeah, please go. No, uh, I, I, it's nice. It's nice to hear that. Definitely. I mean, we don't, we don't get that, that feedback that often. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get feedback about the beer itself, but, but not that often about pricing. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, no, we're, we're, we're committed to, I mean, we, you know, we'd love, we'd love the beer to be, uh, to less, to be less expensive, but yeah. Um, there you go. It's, um, and even, even the wild beers too, like they, they've stayed the same price since we started doing them and no intention of, um, no intention of, uh, of raising those prices. Um, 
it's just, um, yeah. I mean, you guys, you guys have seen some breweries. <laughs> you've seen some crazy, if you've been to the U S and had beer down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we went, we went down to Cal- California a few years ago. Um, uh, my partner and I, um, and to, to, ch- to check out our brew house, we were buying for our, ex- our expansion in, uh, in 2017, I think. And, um, we visited, you know, as many breweries as we could in the area. And that 500 ml bottle, uh, we were seeing, you know, often $20, up, even up to $30 American for that bottle with, with wild beer of a similar style. And, and often, you know, um, it's crazy. Um, maybe, maybe yeah. not, the, maybe not the highest quality. And, and that was, and that's something that are, we max out our pricing at nine ninety nine on those bottles, Canadian. So whatever that, you know, eight bucks. And we were seeing regularly in the twenties to mid twenties for, for that from breweries. So there, there is a certain degree of people are charging what they can get away with. And I get that. Um, but I, I, yeah, it's just not something we, we, we want to subscribe to. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. I get it. Uh, just before we get to the history, Guillaume just asked any plans to bring back Saison Racal, Wine Farrell, Kleinweiss or Sanctuaire? Oh, Nice. Nice. Yeah. Some of the, um, those were some of our, some of our earlier wild side beers. Um, the Saison, the Saison Racquel, um, I mean, give you guys, give you guys the unvarnished truth. I mean, we, that, that was a clean side beer. Um, that was a dry, a dry hop Saison that we were, that we were producing in our 660 ml bombers before we switched to cans. And, and that helped lead to a, a pretty big recall that we had at the brewery. Um, that pesky saison yeast, um, it's great stuff, but it's also, you have to respect it. And, uh, we're really good about separating. We have two breweries. In fact, we have a wild side brewery and then we have the queen side brewery. And, and so we have all the equipment on the wild side stays there. We have bottling lines and pumps and hoses and everything tanks. Nothing, nothing comes over to the clean side. The work comes from the clean side, but that's it. Um, and the says the saison racao, and also we did another one uh, called Provision Mosaique, uh, another dry hop saison. Um, they they were clean side, but with saison, saison yeast is essentially you have to treat it like a brett. Uh, it's a diastatic yeast, and it can it can wreak havoc in the brewery uh, and cause bottles and cans to explode. So um, that was the reason that we don't see those two beers. Um, they would now be in cans, but Saison yeast is banned from the clean side of the brewery now. So all Saison yeah. that we produce is a, has to be by law, <laughs> our laws, uh, done on the wild side. So the, the, the reason we haven't seen them on the wild side is because we have a hoppy wild beer called Colorado. Um, and we had one before that called Farmhouse Houblon. And uh, yeah. the challenge... The, the challenge on the wild side when you're doing hoppy saisons, what, what we found anyway, is that after a couple months in the bottle, they kind of, they, they tend to converge towards a similar point. Um, the way the brett and saison yeast interacts with hops, it often doesn't ma- matter which hops we put in, but after a certain amount of time in the bottle, we're getting some sim- similar aromatics. So because we already have uh, a hoppy, style wild beer colorado I, I just felt like it'd be a bit redundant to bring uh saison racal onto the wild side i don't know if any of that makes sense but um that's that's the reason to answer that question why why that beer is not in our our lineup anymore um 
Kleiner Weiss was a Berliner Weiss. That was a brief flirtation with Berliner Weiss and kind of decided, no, we'll leave that one to, to other people. Um, didn't just, you know, it was, it was interesting, a good summer thirst quenching, low alcohol beer, but just, you know, um, yeah, didn't, wasn't a hundred percent pleased with the end result in terms of the complexity level. Maybe the beer's not, you know, that's again, that's not really what that beer style is about, but that was, that was something we were trying to achieve with it. And, um, that's why that one's not around, but it's possible it could come back, you know, possibly in a fruited iteration. Who knows? So, so yeah. Thank you. I love it. That's a good answer. Um, I noticed it's uh, Noah was reminding me that it is time for the next one. Um, we'll get to this history eventually. Yeah. Um, tell us about this one, dude. This is interesting. A West Coast lager. Yeah. Well, um, that, I mean, again, that's, that's, it's kind of our, a similar, similar base beer with a bit more alcohol to our standard Pilsner. Okay. Um, which is, uh, it's, it's almost all just organic Pilsner malt and then a touch of Vienna, I believe. Okay. Um, and, um, it's just hopped with American, you know, Pacific Northwest hop varieties. Um, just wanted to see you know, how those hops, um, would express themselves, uh, in, in, in a, in a slightly different environment, yeast environment. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, may, may, maybe, maybe we picked the bad name for the beer on the <laughs> West coast. I don't know, man. It's like, it's almost, it does feel like sometimes West coast is a bit of a, is a bit of a dirty word, but, um, <laughs> um not from you guys, know, you know, Kind of, kind of how East Coast was when West Coast was was you know was was reigning supreme over the landscape. Uh, landscape. Um, yeah, it's just supposed to be you know. Again, it's kind of got you know medium dry hopping levels, kind of like our session IPA. Um, re- really, nothing too complicated about it. Just just trying to express those hops um, with with the underlying you know um, Pils- Pilsner beer. Um, it's, it's, I, I, I don't know. We, I mean, we like it at the brewery, um, but, but it, to be honest, it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't sell as well as even kind of more standard Pilsners or hoppy American style, you know, IPA ales. It's, uh, it's, it's a funny thing, kind of like the whole hoppy lager thing. I remember when we started, there were breweries in the U S um, doing IPLs and they were causing quite a stir. Um, but the, I don't know about the whole IPL thing. That's why we didn't name it an IPL. You know, it was, uh, we, we just, we just said West coast lager and left it at that. Just kind of didn't, didn't want to bring the, the, you know, the India pale ale kind of moniker into the, into the mix. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's just, again, one of our base beers that, that we like, we like to produce and, uh, but it, but it, it it, ha- it has its it has its fan base, but it is a, it, it definitely is a smaller a smaller group of people that go to the you know that style of beer compared to obviously uh, Yakima West Coast IPA or you know uh, obviously the newer New England style IPA. I love it. Yeah, it's great. This is this is super interesting. Um, I, I don't technically know that I love IPLs. I don't know if I could probably identify one in a blind tasting or anything, but. This is uh, it's a total different vibe from the Casbeck. It's you know, 
I mean, maybe yeah. Noah will have a fl- flowery description of it, but uh, <laughs> is it like you know, swinging from tree to tree in a Nicaraguan <laughs> valley or something? Like it's great, nice and yep, floral. Yeah, exactly. you, you nailed it. You nailed yeah. it. <laughs> like it's it, it's just fantastic. Uh, no, I mean, it's, you don't taste uh, the booze either. Like six percent normally, that's harder to hide in these types. Sometimes even at six, I've I've drank these beers, and you can taste it, and I always find that frustrating. But this is great. Sorry, no, continue. Run, run, no, run, I was just gonna it. say, um, I think I could be wrong, but I feel I think IPLs or dry hop bloggers or <clears throat> whatever combination of lager and um some kind of hot, uh, more apparent hot profile um will will probably i i think it's going to get a bit more popular again in the next couple of years with that kind of resurgence of lagers mm. uh wouldn't surprise me i know there's a couple of breweries that are just opening right now that <clears throat> i think are going to be doing versions of them lupulin and like melon and a couple others that are just opening up are probably going to be doing them. So I I don't know. And um, Cinquième Baron's done what two or three or four of them. Yeah. Um, so I think they're going to come back. Um, it's too bad that it's not one of your higher sellers because it's 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 a it's a it's a solid beer, and um, it's always been a fun style. You know, it gives you a little bit of that crispness with a little bit of that fruitiness, and, and it's just easy to drink. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I, I think the name the name was a bad idea. Um, but you know, um, you know, just to give you an example, we released another West Coast IPA. Actually, only our second West Coast West Coast IPA we've put out, which is which is funny. Um, uh, last month, and you know, and there's some you see you see in the comments, some people are saying, "Ah, oh, it's West Coast. It's not for me." You know, it's I'm not I'm not even going to try that, and that's. And that's 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 a little bit what the name does to the beer, um, yep. because I think there are some some possibly people that have really only been into craft beer for a few years. Um, West Coast IPA or West Coast style beers are really not on their radar. They haven't really kind of um, gotten into them, or you know, don't know. They really are are much more into hazy IPAs. So um, you know, and it's a bit unfortunate because there's. I, I still find that West Coast IPA is is as valid now as it as it ever has been, um, and I think that you know I, I see also in the comments from people that maybe have a bit more experience that they're they're going back to those styles. The, there's just a certain mm-hmm. kind of timeless classic nature to a good West Coast IPA that you know you, it's not going to give you palate fatigue maybe and hop fatigue and all these sort of things and just you know destroy your the back of your tongue from hot burn and whatever, and whatever other good things can happen on, on, on massively hopped New England style IPA. So, um, it's just great with food like, too. Like I said, it, yeah, it just does seem like West coast has, has, um, yeah, just, bit, it's just seems a bit like a dirty word sometimes and it's just a shame. Right. So I think, I think people will, will come back to it. Um, the West Coast style is is obviously, you know, Yakima in terms of all the beers we produce uh, up until recently w- was was still uh, reigning supreme over our sales. Um, you know, long after you know New England IPA had kind of taken over the market. So, um, you know, may, may, I think I think you know maybe in our case it's a little bit different because we were. 
we were we were into the Quebec marketplace with a West Coast IPA, you know, very early, and that can really um, that can really have a big effect on on the longevity and the legs that beer has for the brewery. Um, so we're, we're quite lucky that Yakima is still, you know, the most important beer we produce. Which is a great point. On that note, maybe we should go back to the beginning then. Do you want to maybe? <laughs> it's okay. It's only 45 minutes. No, because the convo is good. Yeah. Right? Like, I want to, uh, I just feel like maybe some, some context for some folks who, you know, I see some uh, people in the comments. I know uh, Beer and Abozo is out there in Ontario and um, he's asking some yeah. questions as well. But so maybe, uh, Dan, maybe break down your beer history, how you got into beer and then how that came into, you know, the brewery actually opening. And then I'd love to even going on from there, hear like the, the Yakima story and, and from your perspective, because that was a beer that impacted yeah. both Noah and myself very heavily on, particularly when I moved to Quebec in 2012, which was when you opened. Yeah, I yeah. would have tried it either that year or the next year. And at the time, obviously, that was, you know, you wanted your tongue punched in by a bit of hop and, and that did the trick. So it was, yeah. you know, it was a super important beer for a lot of people who are drinking now. And so I, I'm sure mm-hmm. that would be a valuable story. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so, so the brewery launched in, in, uh, in, in 2012, uh, in June 2012. And, um, you know, my partner Murray and I, um, I guess, I mean, we're, 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 we're trained um, traditional timber frame carpenters um, before we got into making beer and had a traditional timber framing company. Um, we started in Quebec um, in 2002. And, um, you know, Murray and I are, you know, we've known each other since high school. Uh, and we, en- we ended up, you know, going over to Europe to learn how to make these traditional timber frame structures. We learned kind of the old medieval techniques of working with wood, um, working on historic, historic monuments and, and, uh, you know, 500 year old buildings and and doing, you know, pretty wild projects in England, Scotland, and Wales, and some other countries. Um, and then came back and and just, you know, decided we wanted to start a business in Quebec because there weren't that many people doing this kind of work in Quebec. Um, and that's what we did in 2002. And we were, you know, I was a carpenter for life. And, and so was my partner. I mean, we just, we just figured out oh, this is what we're going to do. We got a timber framing company and this is what we're going to do forever. And, um, you know, we never thought we'd be making beer um, until, until we kind of had a couple down cycles in our business. Uh, it's so specialized what we were doing. Um, and then there was the great, you know, the, the economic recession of 08 uh, was particularly difficult. And that was kind of like, okay, well, do we, you know, how many of these down cycles do we want to go through with construction? It's not very fun. And we, we started thinking back to when we were living in England and Scotland and how much we absolutely loved the beer in the UK. Um, drinking real ales, you know, at the local pubs. We got into pub culture over in the UK you know, where they're using a, a beer engine and they're pumping, you know, what we would call flat beer. And it's a 3.2% ale that's just, you know, unbelievable flavors coming out of it and esters and, you know, multi wonderful traditional real ales. Um, so we, I, I don't know, we, we originally thought about whiskey because we, we, after the second downturn with our carp with our carpentry business, we just thought, you know, we were, we were kind of more 
or as much into whiskey at that time. And we, we, we visited so many distilleries when we lived in Scotland. It was kind of one of our things. Um, and some breweries too. And we just thought, well, let's start it. Let's start a distillery, but it was, I mean, it's madness opening a distillery, especially like in, you know, 12, 13 years ago, it was just like, how do you do this? This is insane. You're not going to have any product to sell. You know, you're going to have to make gin and vodka, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we, we said, well, we don't even know what we're doing here. And then we somehow pivoted to beer. I can't remember quite the moment, but we were like, well, we can just put, get some pops and try home brewing. And, and we literally, you know, did the whole five gallon Coleman cooler mash ton built out of like, you know, kerf cut copper pipes um, and a hand crank, you know, mill. And we, we, we didn't do extract because we, we, you know, we're kind of, we liked the craft element and we'd seen and been to these breweries where they were, you know, they were mixing in the grains. We we're like, we went straight to all grain and we tried it and we did a, an English real ale as our first batch of beer. And it was just dumb luck. Uh, it just worked. It was just absolutely delicious. It was that, that, that giddy moment you have when you try something new with your hands and it actually works and you're pleased with the end result. Mm. It's, it's like, you know, you just, you just get, completely swept up in it um and it was basically like from that first batch it was like oh we're going commercial it's like we're doing this and it's like we knew we knew absolutely nothing uh it's that you know that blind wonderful ignorance you have sometimes when you're charging towards a cliff yep. and you just don't know you're charging towards a cliff so that that's kind of where we were at um but we took inspiration from because we said well what what right do we have to start a brewery in rigo like that's this is crazy, isn't it? Like this is nuts, and and we we took inspiration from from a couple of breweries. Um, there was Pit Caribou, and they're they're way out in the Gas Bay. They're like a twelve hour drive from us. We're like, well, they started a brewery in two thousand six, and they're and they're still here and they're doing great things. And and there was Bose just down the road from us. Um, we started in I think the same year, and they were doing you know incre- incredibly well, um, expanding at you know huge rate of knots and. We just said, listen, these 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 guys are these guys are opening breweries in in rural settings and you know pretty far from urban centers and you know maybe we can too. So we 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 kind of went into hyperdrive with with the you know home brewing lots of home brewing and then we were going to start as a nano. Um, I I was really into nano breweries back in like 2009 2010. I followed a bunch of them, a bunch of their blogs in the U.S. Um, you know, working on two barrel systems, three barrel systems. So, you know, 200 to 300 liters. And that's how we were going to start. Um, we were going to, we were going to have it in this like 500, 600 square foot part of the, our workshop. And we were just going to supply Vaudreuil Soulange with beer. And that was it. That was our, that was really our ambition was to supply Vaudreuil Soulange with beer, which is our County our just our local County. Um, and keep timber framing that like 80% of the workspace would still be dedicated to carpenters and the brewery would just help pay the rent. And, you know, we have fun doing it. And that was it. That was all, that was our ambition. We had, we had no, no other ambition than that. Um, at the last minute we started looking at numbers saying, Oh my God, nano breweries, how are we going to do this? Like, this isn't going to work. We can't make enough beer. Um, and we, and we, we, we upped our budget at the last second and bought a, a 1200 liter system, a 10 barrel system. And, and that's what we started with. But we still started 
um, with a, with like a ridiculously low amount of cellar. We had two 12 hectoliter fermenters, which is commercial suicide. Like there's no way you can be profitable with that when you're distributing 100% of your beer, which is what we were doing from day one. We were open on Saturdays for the first you know year or two, um, but but our product was you know 98% through distribution. So we we were man we didn't we didn't know anything and and we went commercial not knowing a lot um, clearly um, with two 12 hectoliter fermenters. So we had to um, that's how we started just on a wing and a prayer and in a really small space and um, and we went from there and and then you know one thing led to another. Um, it, I think, I think people were puzzled by us. I remember reading some articles like, who are these people? Like, because no one knew us that we weren't known to home brewers. We weren't known to anyone in the industry. Um, often it's like known home brewers that are starting breweries or people that have been in the industry and have industry experience. Those, those are the recommended ways to start breweries. Um, we didn't follow, you know, those, those traditional routes. Um, people were just kind of baffled by us. We're like, these two carpenters are brewing and we'd never heard of them. And, and they have this, you know, this place out in the backwoods in Rigo. So um, that, that was how we started. We started in 2012 and we still had our carpenters uh, were working and the brewery was being supported by the timber framing business. The timber framing business was paying for our building it was paying any salaries at the brewery. It was the mothership. And we kind of knew, we're like, well, we're, we're commercially not viable at the size we're at. So the question is now, can we get to a size that's commercially viable before the bottom falls out? Um, because, because the timber frame business was prone to, to huge cycles, ups and downs. If we hit a down cycle with the timber frame business and it's the mothership, the whole thing could go down, both businesses. So that was our concern was can we get the brewery on its own two feet before that happens um and we almost made it um we, we got you know we got about a year and a half in and then we did get that inevitable downturn with with the mothership construction business um and then you know murray and i had to ante up and you know remortgage houses and things like that but but i mean that's that's kind of all part of the the deal when when you're when you're running a business um you know, luckily we were able to, to just kind of scrape our way through, um, and, and make it through that period to a point where the brewery became kind of viable after two years. We had, we had invested every penny coming into the brewery in those early years on tanks, on expanding our fermentation capacity, um, on buying a better, you know, bottling machine, on you know reaching more customers and stores so eventually the brewery did stand on its own two feet and then you know from 20 you know from the release of let's say the yakima ipa our west coast ipa in 2013 onwards it, it, it was kind of a whirlwind from that point on um the yakima i mean you know without being melodramatic the yakima is is, is responsible for um keeping the brewery afloat and and also where the brewery is at today to this mm -hmm. very day um, to the point where in 2015, uh, we'd had enough of construction and, you know, we were so focused on the brewery. Uh, it's where all of our interest and opportunities lay. The construction was a chapter that we were winding down. And in 2015, we shut it down and the whole building 
um, was already actually being used by the brewery by that point. The carpenters, poor carpenters got chucked into the parking lot for one summer and then we had to rent another building for them to work in for that winter. And then the next summer at the end of it was more or less over. So we had this, this crossover period of about three years where we were doing both businesses and then we, you know, we shut down the, the, the carpentry side. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know when you guys became aware of us, like at what point, what point we came onto your radar? Well, I was, I, I, I got into beer in 2000 or heavy into beer in around 2010, 2011. So I remember when you guys opened and you had, uh, well, if I'm not mistaken, your first two beers was an oatmeal stout and was it like a blonde ale? Yeah, just a pale ale, blonde. Yeah, or pale ale, kind of yeah. a little, a little, little dry hopped American pale ale. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, back then, even uh, like anytime someone new opened, it was kind of exciting because it was also so new to me at the time mm. as well. Only being like into it for a couple of like a year or so at that point. But so you're what you meant, you know, to your point of what you mentioned earlier, I mean, Yakima, I think it was probably just, it was perfect timing for you. Cause at the time, from what I recall, like IPAs were really blowing up in the States had been for some time, but that, and even like in Ontario, I think they had some solid examples. Um, but we were, were lacking, um, and we were just getting to the point, I think, where there were a few West Coast style IPAs. Because I think before that, it was more, I don't know if we'd call them English IPAs, but they weren't quite as aromatic. Mm-hmm. They weren't quite as fruity. I think they were oh, trying sure. to aim yeah. towards that, but they weren't, yeah, yeah, yeah. they weren't hitting the mark like they were in the States. Mm-hmm. And I remember like getting beers from the States was such an exciting thing because no one was doing the IPAs like, like they were. And I remember like, yeah. uh, uh, Ben Lux put out sabotage in bottles and that was pretty close. And I remember that blew my mind and there were a couple of others. Um, yeah. but Yakima was the one I think I mean not not to toot your home but I think it was it was just the best of the bunch by far and not only that it wasn't some limited run right because that was still even though back then that was a less of a thing as like it is now where it's just like you know something new every week the, the IPAs that were coming out that were great were few and far between and they weren't things that were on the shelves all the time and Yakima was and so I think that's why yeah. it was so huge for the Quebec industry. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I moved to Canada in 2010. I moved here in 2012. I was in Toronto before that. So I got into oh, right. there in 2011, uh, early doing the, the stupid selfie thing as just like something to do with my friends in Australia were doing. I was like, yeah, sure. There's, you have to drink 365 beers in a year. And I was like, well, obviously there's not 365 beers that exist. So let's do it. Obviously that just kept going. And I was drinking beers in Australia, but not so much. So when I came to Montreal, it was an interesting thing because I guess, Noah, you were sort of just before me. I imagine we're all, I was drinking beer, but not documenting it. And I was coming here not knowing French and then coming into like a depth. And then it was just all of these French words. I'm like, I don't remember any of these. I'll never remember a name of the beer. It was really difficult. Um, yeah. And I remember when, I don't know if I just saw Yakima and thought it was cool because I was getting into IPAs heavy at the time or whatever, but. I remember it was the first the first time I ever did a trade. There was some dude I met on the internet in Edmonton or something like that. So I traded him Yakima and the uh, Pit Caribou American IPA. 
and it blew his yeah. fucking mind because I it blew my mind initially. And yeah. it was one of the ones that was like, oh, wow, because I didn't know much about Quebec beer. It was hard coming here fresh and not knowing what was happening. And then when you saw that, and then from then on, I always sort of every time I saw the castor, I usually just picked a few brands and just kind of ran through them. And just whatever I saw of your stuff, I would just grab that because I was like, well, the castor, I'm sorry, Yakima was amazing. So I think there's a lot of people, and, and Guillaume is saying here, silkscreen bottles, which obviously was yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the bottles are super oh, cool at the time. That's right. I mean, we, we, we fully acknowledge that timing is everything. And, um, you know, we were inspired by what was going on in the U.S. Um, so so we, we, uh, we wanted to release an IPA when we launched the brewery, but we were, um, we knew that we had a lot to learn. And we wanted to kind of get going with the brewery and, and have a bit more brewing experience before tackling it because we figured it was, it was going to be a bit of a challenge to get, you know, an IPA where we wanted it. So we started in summer 2012 and we released Yakima in, in like March or spring of 2013. Hmm. And like you say, at the time there were very, very, there were no, there were no West coast IPAs that I know of that were being fully distributed across Quebec. There, now some of the brew pubs were doing them. Uh, like you said, Benelux uh, was fantastic at West Coast IPA before, yeah. before almost everybody. Um, but they I don't know how much they were distributing them at that time. So I know Not that Pit Caribou released they, their American IPA uh, the week or two, the week before us, I think. We, we had both, you know, ended up launching our American style West coast IPAs and screen printed bombers, like within a week of each other. It was pretty, it was pretty, <laughs> they were, uh, they're always pretty put funny together on the shelf. They, and they're yeah. the same size. Like, like, so it was like, well, we get one of each. Like, why not? Yeah. That absolutely. And, um, it, it, it was, it was definitely, we were hugely influenced by the United States as, you know, as we all still are. Um, the, you know, stone brewing and rogue, you know, the screen printed bottles, the screen printed bottles were, were very useful for us for, for two main reasons. One, obviously, is they look, they look pretty sharp. Mm. There weren't many screen printed bottles on the Quebec market at that time. And, um, you know, we came out of the gates with a pretty polished looking beer. And I, and I think that was a really good thing, but we, we were, we were seeing stone and rogue and all these other guys doing it saying that looks like that's how we have to stand out. We gotta, we gotta have a different bottle, a different size bottle and and screen printing. Um, because there was so, we felt there was so many beers on the market in 2012 and and now look where we're at. Um, but back, (laughs) but back then we're like, we we can't have the same bottle as everyone. We can't have a paper label. We're just going to blend right into everything else. And, and we're nobody's, nobody knows who we are. So we we want people to, that's why our logo is so big on those old bottles, all our old brands. So (laughs) the whole front is the logo. And that's, that was, that was deliberate. So the Yakima, the pale ale, the stout, um, the Eclipse there? Black IPA. Yes! They're, they're giant logos, right? And that's because we wanted people to identify the brewery from like 20, 30 feet away in a store and say, oh, <laughs> look, there's Castor over there. Because uh, what I was finding uh, in 2012 was you pick up a bottle of, of some of the beers and even after looking at it this close and turning it around, I still didn't know who brewed the beer. I couldn't figure it out because point. it was just this tiny little mention of the brewery on the back mm. of the label. And I thought, well, no, we, we can't do that. We, you know, like I said, we're nobody's, nobody knows us. We, we have to get 
the idea of Le Castor in people's heads. So all those first beers that came out were just massive logos. <laughs> and now, and now our beers, all the label designs, the logo is a tiny, it's a tiny element in the sky, usually a sun or a moon or Literally. something, right? Literally in the sky. So, so that's it. We were hugely influenced by, um, by those guys, Stone. Um, and, and also a book that Mitch Steele had just written at that time. Because the East Coast, West Coast thing was real and like not New England, but East Coast, West Coast, right? So the East Coast is yeah. like, you know, the, the remnants of the British IPA and people, you know, on the Eastern seaboard, I guess, Quebec included, had a, we ha had a really hard time losing the Crystal Mall from their IPAs. And, um, you know, Sam Caligione from Dogfish Head, I was like, you know, devouring his books. He was such a, such a great ambassador for beer still is but mm -hmm. but back then you know the dude it was all about dogfish head back then and he yeah. and he was you know his rap rap battles with east coast ipa and talking trash to the west coast guys so you know there was a pride in, in east coast ipa it's more balanced it's more malty you know all this kind of stuff you need the malt to balance the hops and the bitterness and the west coast guys looking at them going and they're just like screw that like we're not even going to use crystal malt and we're going to put tons of hops in it and you know looking at this IPA from the West coast stone at the time, it was like so pale compared to what we were used to on the East coast. And I was just like, this is inspiring stuff. Like this is where we got to go. And Mitch Steele released his book at that time. And in the book, he's just his mantra going on and on, lose the crystal malt, lose the crystal malt. And it was such a, it sounds silly now, but it, it was, it yeah, was such a revolutionary idea at that time to lose the crystal malt. You're like, but can we make an IPA without crystal malt? It was like so shocking. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's silly, isn't it? Right. But um, that's the truth. So to come out, you know, with a, with a pale, really pale looking IPA, it wasn't crushingly bitter. Like Yakima has never, ever been about the IBUs. We, we quickly took that off the bottle because um, even, even back then in 2013, the whole IBU debate and question was like this is this is silly. This number is causing more problems and more confusion than than anything. Let's just remove the number. So we took it off the bottle after whatever a year or so. Um, the, the, the idea was never to be crushingly bitter. We never bought into the IBU race and having a thousand IBUs in a beer. We just we wanted drinkability. It's always flavor, aroma, bitterness. Uh, you know, malt. Just try and balance everything. And um, yeah. that's what the Yakima has always been. There are now there, there's definitely, you know, we, we went out that, you know, in 2016 in California and had some of the West Coast IPAs. And I was like, oh, shit, these things are bitter. Like, because we hadn't had them in a, in a few years. And it's like, yeah, the Yakima kind of drifted. We also were influenced by Hetty Topper back in the day, you know, back in like 2013. Right. People would bring us, bring us up some Hetty Topper. And again, back in the day, New England style IPA didn't really exist. It was kind of Vermont style IPA. And we, we almost saw more, we felt like we had almost more in common with that um, than, than some of the super bitter, aggressively, you know, high IBU West Coast IPAs. So, so Yakima has always been uh, kind of, we feel like a middle ground. But using, you know, using Cali Ale yeast, sort of clean neutral yeast um, um, and, and, you know, classic, you know, sea hops, um, things like Citra, Cascade, Simcoe, Centennial, et cetera. So, so we, we were really lucky to, to put that beer out when we did. Um, and as a result, um, 
and we distributed it as well as we could. Um, and, 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 you know, we're lucky enough that it's become kind of one of the, um, the standards, I guess, in Quebec. And, mm. and it's, it's kind of what our brewery is, is still really, really known for is, is that beer. Um, even all these years later. I love it. That's cool to get that story, man. Um, yeah. It, it's, you want to hit the next one, Craig? I was about to say, yeah. It's, I'm looking at the time there. Speaking of IPAs, and we were just talking about the, you know, the IPA that put you guys on the, on the map here in Quebec and has continued to do so. And now, you know, when I remember, I was telling Tiff, my partner today, I remember the first time I had this, I think I told you, Dan, when we spoke a couple months ago, I was with my friend from, uh, he's from Toronto, but he lives in San Diego now. And he came to visit and we went to vice versa. And they had, back then in 20, I think it was 2018, nowhere had New England IPAs here. I used to get so fucking mad about drinking mm. beer in Montreal. It pissed me off because I could never get what I want. Now, Quebec, in, in my opinion, is the greatest beer province in Canada. And they had a Le Castor New England IPA. And I was like, what? You do it? Like, and I remember trying. And I think I told you and it was like the... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Early batches. Like I'm talking like it was a test batch. It was batch. a test batch. Yes. Yeah. So I was super Absolutely. impressed. And if I'm honest, I don't recall if I've even had it um, in a can yet. So I'm going to go grab it. Do you want to maybe tell us about this one and how, how you know, you guys doing it? Did I send? Yeah, yeah. I have that was it. one Just, of the ones I sent? Yep. We had the New England and we had there's a double FPA after yeah. this. Do you want to hold yeah. up the can, Noah? I mean. Yeah. I'll be back in two secs. Right on. Yeah, so New England IPA. Where do you start, eh? It's um. I mean, when when did you become <laughs> yeah. when when did you become aware of of New England style IPA as its own distinct style, Noah? Like, when when did it come to your attention? I think for me, I had like a a moment when it hit me, almost like before it became a real big thing. My buddy went to Trillium and brought me back two bottles back when they used to bottle. Um, and at the time before that, it was, uh, there wasn't, I, as there, it, like you were saying before, there wasn't really a name for it. Like it was Vermont IP, uh, IPAs or maybe juicy IPAs or I mean, I even heard the term white IPAs and stuff. And like, it was kind of like oh. the heady topper, but getting even more aromatic. But then once I had those trilliums, I had never tasted anything like that. Um, it was kind of, it was just like a whole new world for me. Um, and then it was like, okay, I need to seek out what's going on here with this. And there were, weren't many people doing <laughs> what it at is the this time. Sorcery? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was very, and it was like, it was an intensity that I, I wasn't used to because you're you're used to almost like a bitter intensity or an aromatic intensity. But this was like tasting like hot burn for the first time almost. It was very, it, yeah. I mean, compared to, I'm sure it wasn't that bad compared to what we have these days, but I'd never experienced anything like that. So that was kind of, that was the experience for me. And then it just kind of you know, other half coming into play and, and obviously uh, all, all the other big guys and then hitting Quebec eventually. Uh, and and no, yeah, kind of really from Boreal really kind of brought it, brought it in, I think. Well, that's right. And, and Norris, uh, the Boreal is, I mean, they're, they're New England IPA is excellent. Um, 
but I, I believe they were the first widely distributed one across Quebec. So they're, they're, they're yeah. going to forever be the benchmark for that reason. Right. They're, yep. they're, they're the go-to and they're widely distributed. The beer is excellent. Um, you know, getting in early, as we said, uh, definitely, it definitely is, is a, is a really nice um, luxury to have. We, we got caught. Um, well, we just, it took us forever to get a New England IPA to market because we just weren't happy with the results. Um, right. We, I had heard that. It took years, years and years. Um, so we, 2016, I guess, is when it really kind of came onto my radar. Um, yeah. I can, rem- I can remember having Jutsu from Bellwoods um, when we were looking at brew houses in Toronto. I was like, this is just like fruit juice. This is insane. <laughs> what is this? Why does it look so terrible? You know, I had that same initial reaction. Um, and on our trip to California in 2016, we visited a brewery that had just been open for, I think, only a year called Monkish. Ooh. And um, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know who they were. Um, but our, the people at Premier Stainless, our brew house manufacturer said, Oh, go visit them. You know, Henry's a nice guy. And he was, he was super nice. We knocked on the door on the back and he let us in, took us on a tour and, 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 and let us taste a bunch of double New England IPA and some of his wild beers. And it was just like, okay, this is, this is crazy. What are we drinking here? This is nuts. And then we went to another, another, um, another brewery, Casa Agrias, a smaller one on the coast. And I can just remember, like, just constantly looking down at my glass, and it was empty all the time. And I just kept kind of handing it back to the server, like I'd done something wrong. I was just like, "This is not normal. What is happening? This, this is—it's it's like <laughs> so fruity, so good to drink. There's no, there was none of the hop burn. These beers were just like whoosh, just yeah. unbelievable uh, soft finish." And I was just like rattled. I was just like, what is going on? Because, you know, I just, I, I was really, personally, I was a bit, you know, late to the party for sure. Um, but 2016 is when, as a brewery, we're like, okay, we got to get on this. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you've heard, there's this thing called New England IPA. Um, so, so, you know, we started test batching and um, it didn't go well. It really didn't go well. Um you know, we so you might have tasted like a keg test batch. So we'd do like a it 10 was. hectoliter batch or something. Yeah. And and then like run off some kegs and dump the rest and, and just try Vice Versa and some other keg customers. We 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 try out the beer and, and and see what people say. And um we went around in circles, man. We I mean we even we even went so far as to brew our normal commercial size batches, which are you know, in theory fifty hex, but by the time you add the hops, we get you know, you know, 32 hacks out of it. Really? Um, oh and, gosh. and, and we, and we just, we just like dumped. I don't, I don't know how many commercial size batches we dumped, but it was dozens and dozens. Um, oh, wow. Just, just hundreds of hectoliters of New England IPA down the drain, 2016, 2017, 2018. And then finally, was it 2019? Yeah. Summer 2019, we put out the one you're drinking now, okay. um, with the very, very creative name. And, um, <laughs> And yeah, I mean, it was, it was insane. I mean, we had, we had all the problems you can imagine, but eventually like after, after a year or two, the beers were good. We had kind of, 
we had two out of three components were were kind of acceptable. So the aromas, um, the flavors, but the finish, we couldn't get the finish right. We're like, why is it awful? Why is it so astringent? Why is it burning? What is going on? Um, we tried we tried dozens of yeast strains. We tried dozens of hop combos. There's 62 different ways you can make a New England IPA. And if you you know if you read people talk about their methodology, it has to be this way. We've tried it every single way. Uh, we we lost a year and a half with hop creep, not understanding what it was. Um, hop creep is only a term like it's actually it's been around. They've actually talked about it for a long time, decades and decades. Hop creep, but. As, as kind of something that's in the consciousness of the industry, it's fairly new since New England IPA came around. And Hop Creep caught us out for, like I said, a year and a half. We didn't know how to control it. We were like, ah, the beer won't stop fermenting. Um, is it an infection? So What's going what is, on here? What is so, hop, uh, hop Creep exactly? Well, Hop Creep is, is basically, because you're adding, so a New England IPA like our has about, double the amount of dry hops that our Yakima has. Although the Yakima, the Yakima, it's interesting. We have, I think, double the dry hops in the Yakima that we did when the beer first came out. And it's not considered a, like a, you know, hugely in your face, punchy, hoppy beer, but there's about double the dry hops than we have from, from, from the original batches. Um, New England IPA is, takes that to another level. It's, it's roughly double again, the Yakima. So basically you're putting so much um, hop material in the beer and the hops actually have uh, enzymes in them um, that, that will trigger um, basically like a diastatic reaction. So they'll, they'll start cutting up, you know, starches, the fermentation's finished, but there's, there's, there's so much hop matter in the beer now, assuming it's at a warmer temperature um, it starts to actually produce simple sugars and the yeast wake up and say, Oh, thanks. Thanks for that. And they get back to work and they start mm. fermenting those simple sugars. And you don't have this problem with less, uh, less hot matter and you don't have it at lower temperatures. So one of the problems we had is, you know, the early go-to methods that were discussed and even still to this day was this whole biotransformation thing where you're adding hops to a live fermentation. So you, you know, you pitch your you pitch your yeast um, in, into into your wort, which is cool to whatever 20, 20 degrees Celsius. It starts to ferment, and then everyone's saying you got to add hops during during ferment to get the biotransformation, which is uh, you know the yeast interact with the hop compounds and create new fruity aromatics, which are not possible without this biotransformation, and it's it's an essential part of producing new monarchia, right? Um, so, so we were like, okay, well, we don't know anything. So that's what we have to do. So, you know, we did that. And, but the problem with that is, um, now you've got hops kind of in an active fermentation. And if you add, if you then keep it, you know, at that temperature to finish the rest of your dry hops, now you've got a lot of hop matter in there and you've now got enough enzymes in to actually start to change things and to, and to, and to mm -hmm. produce simple sugars and, and to kickstart fermentation. So we're starting to see blow off activity and like the beer has started to ferment again. And so it would ferment right down like a Saison yeast. We get into the ones, um, one Play-Doh. So oh, let's wow. say the beer was at, at four, let's say, uh, after a ferment and, you know, normally, um, you know, with this, with this amount of hops, it was, it was a runaway fermentation and we didn't, we didn't know what the hell was going on. 
uh, we lost so much time. And, and, you know, since that time, there's been papers published on hop creep. It's much better understood because uh, people didn't think there was enough enzymes present to be able to do this. So, um, in fact, it is. So we've completely changed the way we make New England IPA. Um, and it was from pe- meeting people like like uh, Monkish who were like, no, I don't do any of that. I, you know, we, we semi-crash, our, semi-crash our beer and we dry hop at semi-crash, which is what we've always done for Yakima because it, it facilitates yeast harvesting as well um and um anyway so we so we went back to kind of the way we normally dry hop our beers um and that solved the problem so um anyway long story short we we had every problem yeah every problem you can imagine to the point where we were like well it's not the grain it's not the yeast it's not the hops what's left right duh the water um so we're like but our water's been fine. We've been making beer. Like our water's weird. Like we get it out of a well on our property and it's weird. Um, it's always been weird. It's got a couple parameters that are kind of very high, not good. But we've been making beer with it, you know, for eight, nine years. Well, at the time, at the time it was whatever it was, five or six years. So we never really thought to look at our water. Um, and in the end, uh, the water was the problem. For New England IPA, because you're pushing the limits, you're adding so much vegetal hop matter to the beer that water becomes absolutely critical. And I'm not just talking about you know um, your your chloride and your sulfate levels and things like that, um, you know, which is an, and again part of the whole debate of, 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 of what you should do to make New England IPA. Um, it's our water was pretty bad apparently, so we had to invest in a reverse osmosis system. So we're basically um, stripping down, stripping down the water to nothing. There's nothing left, and uh, and then building it back up in the brew house. And literally from batch one with the new water, uh, it was like ta da! It kind of worked, right? The, the beer was. We got what we needed. We got what we were trying to get all along, and it was like, wow, that was painful. That was that was three years of torture. Um, so that that's why we were so. Um, late to the party, uh, you know, for, for 2016, 2017, 2018. And we're kind of on the outside looking and going, man, that new England IPA party looks pretty fun. Wish we could be part of that. And, you know, how about a Yakima in a bomber, anyone? And the market's basically doing this saying, you know what you can do with your Yakima and a bomber. Uh, they didn't say that they, they, they still bought it, but that, that's what it felt like because we, we started to feel, um, you know, we started to feel really irrelevant. Uh, it's it's just the way it's just the way it is, right? It's the way it goes. You, there's ebbs and flows to your to your place, your position in the marketplace, and it's like we're trying over here. We're really trying. We know we need to be in cans. We knew in 2015 we wanted to be in cans. When we launched the brewery, we wanted to be in cans. We were we were looking at Oscar Blues in the U.S. We said we got to be in cans. Mm-hmm. Uh, could we afford a canning machine? No, it wasn't an option. So we went to the biggest possible bottle we could find, which worked for a few years. <laughs> but we knew we knew bottles were dead in 2015. But we just we we wanted to jump up to a really good canning machine. And the, that would require an entire new building to be added to the brewery, which was which was a two year, three year project. So we're like, it's just too big. So we kind of we kind of struggled on for three years with our our now irrelevant, out of date, large bottle and, and our West Coast IPA, which some days was feeling less relevant. And 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 all the new kids are having all this fun with their cans and their New England IPA. So, um, you know, it's good, though. 
it's good though to be humbled. It's it's good for the soul. And and you know we but 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 it was also a chance to kind of get ourselves back in in what we call the game. And um, once we finally made the switch to Cans, which was a monumental project for us, um, and then the New England IPAs followed on pretty quickly from that. Um, it was it was really interesting seeing the market's response. There was a whole new uh, subset of beer drinkers that didn't know who Le Castor was, which was hilarious to us because like thought we're only we're mm. only like seven years old. How can you not know who? But it's because they they had only been drinking beer in cans and really only their preference was really only for New England style IPA. So they they had no idea that we existed. So it was mm. it was kind of fun um, seeing these new people come come to our beers. Um, and also other old, old people that like, not old people, but consumers that used to drink our beer, um, <laughs> come geezers. back to the brand because, because now it's in a can and they're like, yeah, Yakima's in a can. This is such a great thing. So, um, so that, that was, that was a really, that was a really fun year for us, 2019 to see that, to see those, those two things happen in the same year. It's funny though, um, as and this could just be a, a a personal experience with us. Maybe people don't agree or not. I don't know. But as much as you were saying you were late to the party, you also kind of dropped your new IPAs in a like right before you could walk into depths and get relatively decent uh, New England IPAs all the time. And what I mean by that is like. You know, before that, I was like, okay, do I have to drive out to Missorum or do I have to somehow get Buck Canada or or what or all these other guys that you know um, tend to do the stuff that everyone wants or whatever? <clears throat> because you couldn't walk into your local dep and necessarily just have one on the shelf. But when you dropped no. um, the New England and then the uh, the uh, the Aussie one and then a double and then another double. So you, I think you have, you had four on the market for a while and that's grown even from there. Yeah, then. exactly. Um, it, exactly, it yeah. was awesome for me because I was like, Oh, finally I can just go to Le Gobelet pretty much any time and, and, and get a fresh, um, really solid new England. So as much as you're late to the party, you were late to the party. It also felt like, um, full circle with, with Yakima in that, um, it, we, distribution you know, wise. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true actually. Cause maybe, maybe, but maybe in maybe two years ago in terms of, you know, how many were widely distributed, there was definitely, there's definitely a few good ones. Um, and there's more now, but yeah, you're, I guess you're right. A lot of it was coming out of, um, smaller, newer breweries who were choosing an able, to sell the vast yep. majority of their of their beers out their door, and, and why wouldn't they, right? So, um, exactly. And it and it's, it's it worked well, and it and it like it was su- it was super exciting for us adding you know the second one, the, the Australian one, and then the double. Well, the, the Metamorph, the double IPA was second, and um, and it worked well, and we had a, a super busy a super busy twenty twenty, um. But we noticed like at the end of summer last year, people, it was just like, you could see it in the sales. It's like they're, they were, they were wanting something new from us. And again, it was, our mindset was like, but we have four New England IPAs. Like, isn't that enough? And the market's just like, no, 
dumbass, it's not enough. Um, you need to make more and different ones and lots of them. So in the fall, you know, that, that led to the progression series. We're like, Oh, I see. Okay. So it's, it's like we have, it's like we have different breweries within the brewery. It's like, there's the brewery that produces the Yakima, the session IPA, which, which was pretty revolutionary in its day. I have to say, I, I sound like, I sound like oh, that talking session about was amazing. But you remember when there were no session IPAs on the market? You know, yeah. I do. It's like, mm-hmm. and, and that beer was really hard. That beer was really hard to brew. I remember we, we scrapped four batches of that before we put one out again in the balance of having a, a low alcohol beer with a higher amount of hops is, is a really tricky thing to do. Um, so that, that beer for us was like, that was, that was a, a big accomplishment back in the day. Um, and that's, and it's still in our lineup. I was, I was bummed that I couldn't get the haiku to you guys. I wanted you guys to try that one, which is, which takes the session IPA concept to, to the extreme. It's not a session beer per se. It's five and a half percent, but it's an, it's a new England pale ale. And, and the challenges are, are identical. It's like, okay, we have less mm-hmm. alcohol to fall back on here. Um, we want to put a, a, an irresponsible amount of hops in the beer. How do we do this and, and maintain drinkability and, and make sure that it resembles something that's nice to drink? So, um, anyway, we'll get you that one next time. Um, sure. But, yeah, um, yeah so, yeah, it's... Um, it's it's really it's really nuts. So you have you have core brands that that get offered to everybody, about eight. And now this beer here, New England IPA, is, is now a core brand. It took us a took us a year and a half to make that decision because again, it's you know that like the Yakima when it came out, we we were bottling it. We were just bottling for what we needed to get on the truck. Like we were hyper hyper obsessed with freshness because we knew the beer was stored warm in a lot of the stores. Oh yeah. Um, so it's a terrible thing, a hoppy beer in a warm store. Um, yeah. So we're just, we, we, we said in the beginning, Nipahs will never be uh, core brands. We just don't want to do that. We don't want them sitting there dying on shelves. But eventually, you know, it, it has to be done. You have to, you have to offer it to more and more customers because they're asking for it. Yeah. Um, I know Boreal, I think in the beginning they had, you know, a big list of requirements for you to become a distributor of their, of their New England IPA, you know, and, and refrigeration was one of those requirements. And, but at a certain point, you know, you, it's with, with all the other New England IPA in the market, you, you know, if people are asking for it, you, you know, you don't have maybe the leverage you would want. So the New England IPA is now a core beer. Um, so it'll get offered to most of our customers and Yakima and Pilsner and all these beers stout get offered to everyone. And then this, then the, the, the progression series and the smaller batch beers, the specialty beers get offered to a, a smaller and smaller list of customers. Um, even though those customers are spread out all around geographically, um, the more specialty stapeners, the specialty retailers, people like that. So um, yeah, different distribution for different, for different, uh, for different customers. Definitely. It's funny. We, we talked about the Boreal being one of the first, but I think what I forgot about until now is the, uh, I think for me, Le Trois Mousquetaires IPA, the one that Alex built 
was I think was one of the first that had pretty good distrib- uh, distribution that was really kind of new Eng- was was essentially a New England. I remember he was really proud of that beer, and that was a really solid beer too. Mm. I remember when I first tried that, I was looking to do. Yeah. We just started doing our YouTube, and I wanted we did a YouTube series called Versus, where we're just com- comparing beers. And I had some stuff, mm-hmm. and I asked Noah. Like I think we kind of hadn't known each other too long. I was like, "Yo, what what's a New England I can get here in Quebec?" Because I had Sawdust City's uh, juice in at the time, and you were like, "Get Latour Muscatier IPA." Like, oh, okay, so I went and got it warm off a shelf from this place I do not patronize anymore um, in my area. And uh, when I poured, I was like, "This is not what it is." And then Noah, and it was like three, four weeks old, and that was that beer was when I learned you're not supposed to keep. You know, hazy beers on the shelf, warm, and you're supposed to drink them fresh. Because I feel like, even though you were saying about um, Yakima needing to be kept refrigerated, I don't think it was a known thing because I was really big into um, West Coast IPAs, like just like any of us. But it wasn't yeah. something that was discussed, and I didn't even know. I didn't even think twice. And then when I <laughs> bought that beer and did this video, I'm like, this is not what Noah said. What's he on about? And then when you told me, like, dude, you know, treat it like milk. I'm like, oh, okay. Like this is this whole new concept. So. I think it's definitely something that was uh, that came about a little bit more over time, as far as you know. Yeah, I think it was always oh, yeah. like, I think IPAs were always known to not be sellerable beer. Like you need to drink them fresh. Freshness was key, but it what it didn't become. It, I, I don't. It wasn't quite a thing until the New England really hit, where right. beers are turning brown and aromatics are just falling apart. Yeah. Because I think there was still a malt base that you could rely on for New Englands. I'm oh, sorry for for uh, older case. style IPAs. You had a bitterness in there. I mean, mm. they could get pretty cardboardy if you're sitting on them for six months, but um, it wasn't quite as. I'm not gonna say it wasn't quite as important, but it wasn't. Mm. quite as detrimental and, and risky yeah. as it is now. It wasn't discussed. Yeah. yeah well, that's it. It wasn't. No. no. That's That was the thing. I mean, when you're distributing brewery, you know, the the amount of trouble we go to and care we take trying to, trying to mitigate oxygen ingress into the beer, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and that's one of the reasons we waited on buying a canning machine because we wanted to jump up in quality. We wanted to really kind of invest above our weight class in in the machinery because we everything we do is hoppy pretty much. Um, and we didn't want to kind of stick with the quality machine that we had had for our bombers, for our bottles. So you, you go through you go through all this trouble, I mean, keeping the keeping O2 out of the fermenter when you're dry hopping, keeping O2 out of the transfers to the bright tanks, purging bright tanks. And then you're like, whew, got it into the bright tank. The oxygen levels are looking good. Now you have to put it in a can. And, you know, you spend, you know, millions of dollars potentially on canning lines. And then you get into the can and it's like, okay, the TPO, the oxygen levels are good in the can. Here we go. Put it in the cold room. All right. It's still good. Here we go. Goes on a truck and just kiss that sucker goodbye. It goes yeah. on a truck and you just cry. You just stand there weeping because you know that it's out of your hands now and it's up to the distribution network how that beer is treated. And a lot of the good depenners are refrigerating NEPAs and, you know, we thank them for that. Um, 
and even even the bigger stores, a lot of them are refrigerating the beer. But there's a huge percentage of both depunners um, and bigger stores that that don't. And there's there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, mm. We're not you know we're not a big industrial brewery. We can't go in and buy fridges for everyone. So it's it's really out of our hands. And we've done everything we can to put that beer into the marketplace with low oxygen levels. Um, but whatever happens will happen. And, and unfortunately, sometimes if it sits there a while or there was a problem with an individual can, whatever, it's, it's, it's going to oxidize. And these New England-style IPAs are the most hopped, the most sensitive to oxygen of any beer style ever known to man. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a real, real challenge for a brewery that distributes like, like us. Um, this is what's great about these other brewers that are – well, look at Treehouse as the, you know, as the epitome of, you know, one of the, I guess, creators of the style. Like, I don't know what their brewing capacity is on a yearly basis, but it's something unbelievable. It, I mean, it was 50,000 barrels not long ago. It's probably double that by now. And they, you know, they're a regional sized brewery now and they're selling 100% of it out their door. Um, yeah. We can't, we can't all be Treehouse Brewing, sadly. Um you know, we're, we, we have to distribute through a network, but they, they have complete control over their product. And that is the, that is the absolute dream when you're, when you're making New England IPA is that you're handing that cold beer right into the hands of the consumer. And then you tell them, remember to refrigerate it. And then you, you, you can go to bed at night, you know, fairly, fairly confident that that beer will taste good when they decide to drink it. But when you send it out into the distribution network, it's just like, whoop. You know, you just, you just can't control it. So it's great. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, that's it. The market, the beer styles are going towards more and more and more fragile. Um, yeah. Look at smoothies, and, right? And, well, that's next level. Well, that's a whole other conversation for sure. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's, yeah. and that's, and that's why you don't, you don't see, like, we don't feel like we can make, uh, obviously, you know, smoothie beers, um, or even the um, uh, dessert stouts, um, you know, sweet stouts, pastry stouts, sorry. Um, because, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine what it'll be like if it sits on a shelf for two months, what, what that beer is going to be like. Yeah. And it's, it's, not a, it's not a good image in my brain. So it's like, yeah, we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave those beer styles to other people. Um, and again, those, are, those beer styles are mostly being handed to the customer cold. Um, and, and again, when they can be, and the customer is on board and is educated, it's great. It's fantastic. Um, but, uh, that communication is going to break down for sure in a distribution network. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's interesting cause it's, you know, the, 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 the good depeneurs have done so much pioneering work in terms of just making Quebec beer available. They're the first people when you start a brewery, it's, it's the, it's the specialized retailers. They jump onto your brewery and they're like, we want your beer now. Um, and, and they're really the ones leading the charge. Uh, they're the ones that have, you know, helped, help create this market that we have. And, and you see the bigger chain stores, uh, jumping on board because of that. Mm. Um, they're 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 acting in 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 the most ideal way possible as a partner. They they they're a curator, a caretaker of the beer right to when it's handed to the customer, and and that you know that's kind of a it's kind of a unfortunately foreign concept I guess to 
to us in North America sometimes, um, you know, food in supermarkets doesn't need that level of babysitting um, except for fresh produce. They, they, it's like supermarkets, they take care of the fresh produce, right? They're, they're looking after it. They're making sure yep. it's not rotting and, and bruised, et cetera. But the beer, it's in a can that lasts forever, right? It's like a tin of spam. It's like, no, it's not spam. It's freaking beer and you need to look after it. But it looks like it's a non-perishable, but it's a perishable. Yeah, and, exactly. and we just it takes takes decades to get over that that mental hurdle. You know, look at the UK when you serve real ale. Um, the 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 innkeeper, the pub owner, is a big part of that. The the end part of the process of delivering that beer to the consumer, their knowledge in how to tap uh, a cask of real ale and serve it at what temperature and you know how much time they need to leave it. Um, all these things play a huge role in the experience that the, you know, the patron in the pub has. Uh, and they, they accept that responsibility. They're like, without question. And, and oftentimes you get a bad pint. And, you know, the Brits are educated enough to say, well, they're not necessarily going to blame the brewery. They're going to say, well, the pub owner doesn't know what the hell they're doing. You know, um, they, didn't, they didn't prepare the cask in the correct manner because that is their job. So whereas here... You know, if, if, if we get a complaint about an oxidized beer, um, it's our bad. It's you go straight to the brewery. It's there's there's no yeah. there's no like, hey, hey, Mr. Store owner, do you think maybe you could put these beers somewhere cold? Like you're you're part of this distribution chain and it would be really great if you could be on board with that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, we're not there yet. Totally. We are in parts, like I said, the, you know, the depreneurs and, and some of the, the more forward thinking um, bigger stores. Uh, they come straight to the brewery and, and we accept it and we take care of them. And it's just like, it's, it's our beer. It's, if it's oxidized, if it happens, it's, we'll, we'll replace it. And that's just, that's just the reality we have to kind of live with. Yeah. It's super yeah. It's super interesting. And I am seeing more and more that depths and stuff are, are doing refrigeration, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're getting pretty close, but um, I don't think we'd be doing Le Castor a, a good service here if we didn't touch on your your wild beer spectrum because it's it's massive and your um use of brett in all kinds of of ways um you've gone from creating wild saisons on the tart side on the non-tart side <laughs> to taking your belgian triple sanctuaire and then shifting that uh, to a wild Brett version, which uh, at the time was one of my favorites, mm. to more experimental stuff where you're taking like stock ales and old English um, high ABV beers that were brewed traditionally wild a long time ago um, to, to all kinds of, of, of really fun and experimental wild yeast infused beers. So I don't know if you could take a, a moment to talk about that, but maybe, I don't know, before that, Craig, did you want to do any comments or anything like that? I can just quickly run through the last few comments. I mean, they're a little bit dated because I didn't want to interrupt. The conversation was so good, so I didn't want to jump in with these. I'll just read them out quick. Benoit said, the New England is the bomb so solid. It doesn't try to be anyone else's New England. It's Le Castor's New England IPA. Just well done, great taste, and mouthfeel easily available. Did you say which hops are in this at all? Thanks, Benoit. 
Um, the New England IPA is predominantly uh, Eldorado, Mosaic, Citra. Um, yeah, in, um, in yeah, fair, fair, fairly equal proportions. Okay, um, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah. Guillaume is saying, uh, I know Lacasto is a bit of an introvert, but are there any collabs in the future? I don't know what this means. It says, hello, 30 cents, Chevalier du Funk. I'm not sure if that's a... <laughs> Chevalier du Funk was Dunham and 30 Cent was Pit Caribou. Some of the awesome early... I still have a Chevalier du Funk, I think, in my cellar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you should Which track crazy. it open. <laughs> yeah, we haven't... Yeah, we haven't done any uh, any collabs in a while. Um, those those were those were fun. I mean the um, the the one we did with Pit Caribou, um, we worked with Benoit, um, who who now runs Oval uh, Brewery in in, uh, in Val d'Espoir. Val d'Espoir, yeah. And um, that was fun because you remember when black IPAs were all the rage? You remember that? I do. I remember when Eclipse oh, yeah. dropped. Eclipse was like in like a, an event for me. I was so stoked on Eclipse. Because yeah. that, yeah, was, that when was black that IPA was, fun. was shit. It, I mean the the co- the collabs are fun. The collabs are fun when you can kind of um I like to think of them as as kind of tackling a certain problem um or challenge and kind of uh sharing the burden of that with someone um we're not at look at store we're not we're not too much into just collab for collab's sake um mm. and it's it, it is a wonderful marketing uh tool um to use and and it's it's all good people that want to do collabs i know you know there's some i remember reading some breweries in the u.s they're just like we're gonna take a break from collabs because they're literally doing one every week and we're just so focused yeah. on on what we're doing um but those those collabs you mentioned were fun because they were kind of um what can we do that's kind of different and what problem or idea can we tackle together and the one with uh you know benoit um the 30, the 30 sous. so we took we took the beaver which is five cents, and they're the caribou, which is twenty-five cents, and, uh, ah. and and that's how that's that's how Benoit came up with the name for the thirty-cent black IPA. It was pretty good, and the, um, I like I like the logo and the design, the mashup we did, and and we we had to work through the problem of creating a black IPA, which wasn't obvious back then because it had way more dry hops than our Yakima IPA at the time, and now it's again it's it's all relative. It's 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 not, it's not an extreme amount of dry hops anymore, but back then it was. And, you know, we, it was, we had to kind of balance that with the beer and we didn't want astringence again. You know, we don't like that astringence or hop burn in the finish. And, uh, that was really fun. Um, so, so yeah, but, but we also, yeah, well, those beers will never see the light of day again, not from us anyway. Um, we definitely, uh, would, would do something else moving forward, but, um, we we are known as as pretty pretty. We do keep to ourselves. We we like our little quiet regal lifestyle, and uh, and now with the pandemic as well, collabs are pretty 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 difficult. But we did we did do an interesting collab with uh, Alafu um, that came out. Oh yeah, um, for the Yeah, that's it. So it, and it, and it is it, it feeds into the wild beer discussion. Um, Alafu was was doing collabs well over the last couple of years, I think, with with breweries that they that they selected, um, and they and they asked to do them with us, and 
And I like the idea they had, which was to come to our cellar and taste, you know, a bunch of barrels. So, you know, we laid out a bunch of barrels and they came and tasted through them and, and, and they wanted to blend a beer <laughs> of ours with their, with their Rouge de Mekinac. Um, mm-hmm. their, it's, it's, I think it's like a kind of like a Flanders slash Creek. It's, it's yeah. like a hybrid if I remember. And, um, yeah, so they they picked our uh, beer de garde and, and one of our blending saisons, because um, you know we have saison barrels that doesn't have a name per se. It's just a blending. It's a blending beer, and and they did. So we actually sent them the the, the oak barrels. We we put the oak barrels on a truck. We just said take the barrels and keep them, because um, because wow. we're actually in the process of reducing our cellar. Uh, again, uh, wild beers and and barrel aged beers. Um, the market has gone down in, in, mm-hmm. uh, in, for us, maybe not for other people's beer, but for our beer. Um, so we're in the, we're in the process of reducing our, our barrel inventory from over 300 barrels to down to a hundred or 120 somewhere there. We're cutting it way down. Um, so that's why I was like, uh, take the beer in the barrels and, and keep them or, or whatever, <clears throat> do what you want with them. So that was, that was kind of a super fun concept that they came up with. Uh, and also it just happened to kind of blend in with the pandemic beautifully. It was a social distancing collab and then they blended the beer out and they released it. Um, and <coughs> we got the opportunity to do one on our side. So I asked for two totally different beers cause I kind of didn't want to put out something that was too similar to what they'd done. And, um, I tasted their, their spontaneous beer um, the cuvee Western, which is mm. just kind of blew me away. It's mm. like, like, it's so reminds me of traditional goods, like, Holy cow. That's a really, really good beer. Um, so we asked for that. And then they had also uh, a mellower beer, which would be a nice blending component, like, uh, like a grisette, uh, aged on, uh, plums that was much more subtle. So that, that would kind of temper the acidity nicely and we blended that with our pure form which is our wild uh it's a barrel aged saison tart billers barrel aged saison aged on pear organic pears um and we blended oh. those three together and then and then out came the pony express we called it the pony express um and uh yeah put a <laughs> it's our second label with a beaver riding a pony um the <laughs> chevalier <Your> second <laughs> second <laughs> it's our second and i didn't didn't really realize it till after it was done i was like oh man we've done this before there's a there's a there's a beaver riding a pony the chevalier de funk label which is uh i love that label it's it's um it's a beaver on top of kind of looks like a donkey but it's kind of a pony donkey um and anyway this this label was was similar um animals riding animals whatever it's gone it was fun <laughs> so so long story short um that that was a that was a really interesting collaboration um you know with a brewery we have a lot of respect for and who is you know with true to diab i guess with is the biggest barrel agers in 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 not yeah. only quebec but i th- think the country i don't know who would yeah. be bigger sure. anywhere in canada than than the the seller that true to diab manages and LFU now has, I think, yeah. over 500 barrels. They so that's, that's, huge. yeah, that's, that's impressive stuff. And, and 
and you know respect they've been around a long time and their wild beer is some of the best stuff i've ever had so uh again i don't think they get enough credit for for uh you know we don't hear enough about them for the level of, of the quality level that they put out um so that was I agree. that was fun i love it um, um so yeah i mean in term in terms of wild beer i mean cole's notes it's like True to Jab was was a very early um, influence for us. Um, we, you know, when I first tried their beers, uh, Dulcis is, is again is is like again. It's like one of those beers that first comes out in its style <laughs> in a market. It will forever have a very special place uh, in in consumers' minds and in the marketplace. And that's yeah. and they that's still really make it, which is great. Beer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I haven't had it in a while as, as it goes, as you know, and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I don't, I don't drink anyway, but I mean, it's, um, I haven't had it in many years. You don't drink? It's like, no, no, I don't drink at all anymore. That's why I'm not drinking with you guys. It's, uh, anyway, it's, it's from, uh, I bang. Yeah, it's it's. I I, I miss it sometimes. It's because I, I bang my head. I got a concussion, and since then I'm not able to. I can't can't have any alcohol. It's. Uh, I think other people that have had concussions could probably relate to it. Um, wow. Yeah, the doctor said it should should you should be able to tolerate it eventually, but I don't think so. I don't think it does, just doesn't work, hmm. unfortunately. Um, so I'm yeah teetotal man. <laughs> is that a challenge? Like I don't want to derail the combo, but is that a challenge? Being no 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 it's all it. No no hmm. it's no I can tolerate a bit, but it mo- you're mostly smelling in the brewery anyway. To be honest, it, it's right. not yeah. So he it's, it's like eighty percent smelling. Okay yeah yeah. So so yeah so getting back to wild beer. Um, yeah, just really inspired by what Shooters Yab was doing. They they were kind of the big one on the radar um, at around 2012, 20, 2013 when we started to get into wild beers experiment. And again, we had we had a lot of bad luck, uh, a lot of a lot of <coughs> non 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 results in the beginning. Uh, couldn't get the breadth to throw funk the way we wanted to, and this and that. And we had to set up a whole other side of the brewery. So it was again, it was a big project for us at the time in 2014 or 13, whenever we started it. Uh, another bottling line to invest in and duplicate equipment, all that stuff. If you're going to do it, you know, you have to kind of have a whole separate part of the brewery to do it in. And, um, you know, so so from the Quebec landscape, you know, Trudeau de Diable was 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 really uh, was was really a big influence. And there was, of course, Dunham was doing wild beers at that time. Help me out. Who else? Obviously, Alafu, Pit Caribou was getting into them, maybe. Yeah. Um, oh no, no more. Um, Jude had a barrel program as well. Um, in distribution, I don't. Oh, I don't know if did, were they distributing? Well, was that more yeah, like for their releases? Not a ton. It was more special yeah. releases. Yeah, but like stuff that you can get on shelves. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, like shelf beer. Um, um, not too many. So it was... started so getting into it again, shortly after, but yeah. It's... Uh, a lot of the inspiration, once again, came from the U.S. Uh, Jester King um, was kind of mind-blowing. The stuff they were doing back... Th- like, still is, I'm sure. I haven't had their beer in years again. But um, the way they were getting... The complexity they were getting out of fairly quick fermentations was, 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 was really mind blowing. Um, uh, who else popped up? Wicked weed popped up as well. A couple of years later. Right. Um, 
back back then. And um, so yeah, we were just just the whole the whole aroma profile from Brett was just kind of intoxicating, like in a good way, not not in a literal way. It was just like, oh my right. god, beer can smell like a horse. This is crazy. <laughs> um, because I, I was around horses for a part of my childhood, so the smell of a horse or a barn is instantly familiar. And I guess on some weird, deep level, it's comforting to me. Uh, so the fact that a, a, a beer could smell like a horse and, and horse shit in a barn, and somehow <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> it's yeah, like, I know. What Yo. are we doing here? What 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 is going on in this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like I can, I can, I can literally remember having till can like, and one of the biggest aromas of yeah. till can that I detect is dog shit in this beer. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else gets it, <laughs> but oh, I get a good, me, strong, coliform E. coli <sighs> dog shit smell out of it. But, it. but it's amazing. It's amazing in that in that yes. beer. It's not at all like it's not a bad thing. It's and mm. so we're just like. Like holy cow! Okay, so here's a whole here's a whole other subset of beers that we know nothing about or how to make. Um, let's just dive into this head first and see see if we can do something. And the challenge. Do you again, ever um, have you ever like like I, I find myself doing this sometimes where like I'll be standing next to the uh, the compost bag, and it won't smell good. But there'll be some weird smell in there, and I'll stick my nose in the compost bag, and I'm just like taking big whiffs, and it's just like some kind of weird fermentation going on, and I'm just like, oh, it, I don't know, I don't know if that. It, it, this it's conversation like, it's like is going to derail quickly. You can, <laughs> Thank God you you're can not separate drinking. the nasty from the interesting, even though it's like ninety percent oh, nasty. Man. There's a ten percent interesting. Oh, 100%. You know? That's hundred percent. Like look. Like, look at kombucha. I mean, kombucha can be, yeah. I mean, there's so many, you know, the SCOBY and, and all, all the bacteria and yeast that's in there. I mean, I, I had some, I remember like, you know, five, six years ago, drinking some some beers by, you know, prominent breweries, Quebec breweries, wild beers, and, and drinking it and going, this smells like rotting fucking garbage. Like, how like I'm disgusted and appalled, but I'm curiously like envious. Like, how did they get? How did they get rotting garbage smell in their beer? What what organism produced that? It literally smelled like a like a trash bin. It's impressive. So, and that we all want more of it. I like the baby vomit as a personal fave of mine too. Oh uh, man, gorgeous! Yeah, uh, the butyric. I have trouble yeah. with that. Well, it's disgusting. No, I can't do that shit. I've had it a couple of times and I think it's, a, I guess yeah. it's a bad thing. Whereas all the, it's almost like the baby vomit is where it's like, whoa, that's where we draw the line. But you know, the dog shit, the no. cat piss, the horse blanket, all that shit. That's beautiful. <laughs> Let's go. So animals, cool. Animalistic bile, no. is good. Animal, yes. Human bile yeah. uh, upbringing is not so cool. You know, poo. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's it. And, and, you know, I mean, the, the wild, the wild thing was, I mean, it, it, it took years to kind of start to start to be able to achieve some of those aromas and flavors in the beer. Um, and, and we really had to kind of take our time with it. Like the new England IPA project. It was just like, there's no point rushing this. Um, and it was kind of, it was kind of interesting and disappointing all at the same time, seeing the whole quick sour movement when it came in and, and then yeah. like, 
quick sour was a sour and a wild beer was a sour and they're all just sours and they're all now kind of painted with the same brush. And it's like, Ooh, really? Um, okay. Cause, cause the quick sours, I, I mean, they're, they're much, much less prevalent now, but a few years ago, like everyone was souring in their kettle and, and picking up, like you said, like the butyric and, and all these off flavors and aromas and, and, and there's some, you know, pretty sketchy stuff going on, but to the consumer, unfortunately, it seemed like, you know, when it said sour on the, on the, on the label, it's like, well, but that's a sour that's like was aged in a, in a wine barrel for a year and a mm. half. And then it was blended and then it was this, and then it was bottle conditioned with Brett and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they're all just the same to some people. And it was, uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's almost like that was almost where we, cause it seemed like the peak of wild beer, interest from the consumer was was definitely like a good five six years ago mm. i don't know like when we first started releasing uh five or six farmhouse yeah. Blanc, right five yeah i don't know for, for us for us and i mean wild wild beer was like it was hot really really hot like in 14 and 15 mm-hmm. for us and mm. um and then what happened in 16 16 for me was kind of this big dividing line where mm. new england ipa started its it's long rain, right? And, and that affected directly, um, like that actually brought your wild sales down, like you think? No, no, I don't think it was a, a cause and effect at all. I just think it was just a, a natural shift because there's new people mm. coming into the into the market as consumers. And, and those new people were really being uh, drawn, you know, understandably so to these, these juicy, just absolutely crushable IPAs. Um, we still have hardcore fans that buy our, our wild beers, but we produce less of them. Now we're a bigger brewery and we have much more customers than we did back then. And we produce less volume now with the extra customers we have. So if that gives you an indication now there's, Mm. there's a lot more breweries Mm. doing wild beers. So like back in 2014, there was maybe half a dozen that regularly putting out wild beers on the shelf that were distributing. And now I don't know what that number is, but but look at the amount of breweries. So there's way more choice. Um, but mm. but we've had we we've had to limit the size of our, our wild beers, um, and we're just we're just a bit more selective about them. And to be honest, like you know, it's it's a very important part of what we do. It's it's where we do all our barrel aging. We don't do any clean side barrel aging anymore um, because we 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 don't have the space and we've had issues with infections in the past. Uh, Catherine, you know, we've had we had some infection issues mm-hmm. with that. We often get people asking us, "When are you going to make your we heavy bourbon? When are you going to make your Catherine? When are you going to do your barley wines?" And we can't make those beers anymore because. Um, we don't want to do clean side barrel aging. It's too much stress. It's too much work, too much loss. Like some of those beers were complete write-offs on a yearly Mm. basis. Um, So if the beer style doesn't work well for the wild beer program, then we just don't do it. So that's why in our wild beer program, we do things like old ale, which, which traditionally was a, was a beer that had botanomyces in it and it works well for that particular beer style. So like Old Keeper is, is an old ale with Brett um, aged in barrels, uh, in spirit barrels. It, it works as a, as a fully fermented dry wild beer and it's got a high alcohol level. So it's, the beer doesn't come across as thin because it has you know, no residual gravity. It's a, it's a boozy beer. 
But but if you try and do that to a Catherine, an imperial stout, you're probably not going to like the result if that's fermented down to zero, hmm. right? It's just there's too much roast in it. It's just going to be really hard to, to balance that beer. Whereas Porter, we released the, the Tawny Porter last year. There's less roast in a Porter, so that actually works as a wild beer. So we're kind of picking and choosing now the styles that we'll do on the wild side, understanding that that beer has to be fermented down bone dry before it goes in a bottle to be conditioned because we don't want to have any uh, surprises in the bottle at a later date. So we've, we've really had to change our lineup and drop some brands that were like really, really uh, popular at the time and people, you know, continue to ask us for. So something like uh, Colorado comes to mind. I don't know. Is that something that you, you dropped as well alongside uh, farmhouse Hublot? No, well, it's we produce it kind of sporadically. We actually just released uh, okay. a new batch of it uh, two, maybe two weeks oh. ago. Nice. Um, but we oh, hadn't brewed it before then. Yeah, like it was probably a full year before that that we had brewed it. Um, and and again, we got Pacific Northwest hops in that beer. Nice. Um, fermented dry saison. Well, it has it has it has. You know, we use we use different breath strains in it, uh, so it's kind of a nice, a nice dry, very hoppy beer. Uh, if you drink it young and fresh, and then after two, three, four months in the bottle, uh, the the wild yeast will start to interact and and, and make their presence known. Mm. So it's kind of got an ev- evolutionary character to it. Um, so that's kind mm. of one of the beers that that has that has made it through these kind of changes in the in, in what the brewery is producing. Um, there's things like saison Rayé, which you mentioned before, which is our um, wine barrel blended um, saison, um, just a straight up saison aged in wine barrels between one and two years. Um, trying to you know blend different ages together. It's not it's not it's not like a, you know, a goes where it's one to three years old or one to two years old. And, and the older barrels obviously have more character. They're, they've had some oxygen ingress and they have different, um, different, different traits that we, that we blend in for, for more complexity. Um, that's a beer we'll always make. It's, it's, it's one we want to have available on a, on a more regular basis on the wild side. Um, and then we have our fruit beers, you know, cherry beers, pear beers, our mm-hmm. fructus, which is, these are, these are all barrel-aged saison for the most part that are then, you know, assembled together and then aged for four to six weeks on fruit and then aged in a bottle for, you know, two to four weeks before we release them. Um, so th- those are the kinds of beers we're kind of focusing on on the wild side. We're doing less less dark beers. Occasionally we'll put out, you know, darker beers, amber beers like Old Keeper or mm-hmm. um, like we just released. We released one recently called Jalisco which is uh, an amber or, you know, brown beer, um, brown wild beer aged in, uh, in tequila barrels from Jalisco. Um, so that was, that was good. It was, you know, certain beer styles we think work well for spirit agents on the wild side and certain, certain styles, like, like I said, Imperial Stout or uh, maybe barley wine. Just, we just don't think that they're a good fit for the program. So we just, we just don't brew them anymore, unfortunately, but you know, it is what it is. would you ever do um non uh barrel aged wild beers on that side of the brewery again or or do you at all um we i mean that's how we were doing it to begin with um it was all stainless steel and the brett was even 
only being added in the bottle. So the complexity, the breath complexity was only happening in the, in the, in the, in the bottle conditioning. Um, that was through necessity more than anything. And then when we got a bit more space to have barrels, uh, we started running everything, you know, primary is in stainless steel and then it goes automatically to barrels. Um, mm-hmm. The beers that the beers that don't touch oak, there's very very few of them now. Colorado is one. Uh, we used to do yeah. one called the Brett Zet Saison, so it's a just a, a low alcohol saison, um, and then it's and then it's infused with uh, citrus zest and juice, so you know lemon, lime, and, and grapefruit zest. We oh, haven't done right. that one in a, in a long time. At least I think a, a couple years. Um, that's one maybe could reappear at some point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we we definitely could. Um, we tried. Oh, the uh, the um, the brute IPA phase went through our wild side. Um, remember that? Phase? Oh, right, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole two months remember, or whatever. Remember brute? The, yeah, here's the funny thing on brute IPA. We were one of the first to market in Quebec with the brute IPA. Unfortunately, <laughs> I uh, remember. Yeah, we hitched our horse to the wrong wagon. Um, but no, that was that was a fun that was a fun challenge the brood IPA because it yeah, was really causing a bit of a stir down in the U.S. Right? Yeah. And um, it, it was this bone dry bone dry IPA fermented to zero with the help of enzymes, and then you know a, a, a sizable dry hop. Um, but for us, enzymes enzymes are essentially, if you think of them, they're essentially bread. They're super fermenters, yeah. right? But we, we cannot use enzymes on the clean side. Anywhere near our clean side beers, there will be a catastrophe. We don't want them uh, in the brew house. They didn't work that well unless they can be denatured through heat in the brew house. So we were adding them to the, the fermenter. That's where we're having the most success. So that was a stainless steel beer we did on the wild side. Um, but technically it wasn't a wild beer. Um, but we just treat it as such. And then, you know, inevitably the, our brood IPA would pick up a bit of a bre- a bretty, a bretty infection, you know, after a month or two in the bottle. So we, we stopped doing that one. And we're just like, okay, that's a bad idea because once, once your equipment is kind of impregnated with Saison and Brett, um, you, you basically can't get it out of it. Um, gaskets and anything semi-porous, just forget about it. So even if you want a beer to have more of a clean profile, running it through the wild side equipment, you're going to pick up uh, just a micro amount of yeast um, from, from your equipment. And inevitably you'll get Brett in the, in, in the package, you know, down the road. So mm. we're trying, we're trying not to do any kind of clean style beers with, with the bread equipment. Smart. Yeah. So I love it. I was going to say, should I grab the last beer then? And we can, I know we're over up time to you guys. Yeah. yeah. No way you're going to do I'm, it. Or I'm no? fine. If you want to good. I'm gonna hold off because I have to be up at like. Uh, okay. Six. Do you want to keep going for a second? Okay. Anyway, I'll grab the last one since we're. I'm. This is. I just finished my coffee type of thing. This is just getting started for me. Um, <laughs> what time is it? Ten thirty. So we we wrap it up. We can wrap it up quick. I just want to crack it since we're having all four on there. But yeah, keep going. There was a few. Uh, there was other questions. Someone actually, you answered the question as well about. Uh, I was about to say. Um, Beer in a bottle just asked, do you do Brett in a bottle because it's impossible to get rid of the yeast from the tank? So you answered that. Um, one I question. I understood that. Question, oh, it was but... like, do you put the Brett? You said you add the Brett in the bottle. And he said, do you add it in the I think the originally bottle? he did, yeah. Yeah, but you kind of answered it in the end by saying that you put yeah. when you well, use the uh, tanks. Originally, originally we kept um, 
we kept the Brett out of the mm. primary fermenter. We just we just added it at bottling. Um, but we that was we were doing things completely differently. Now we don't we don't we don't we we use bottle conditioning yeast uh, when we're re-fermenting our beers, um, which is which is uh, it, it's it's kind of a clean yeast just designed to 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 re-ferment simple sugar in the bottle. Right. Um, so. And it's supposed to it's supposed to kind of settle out and kind of create a nice compact layer in the bottom of the bottle. It doesn't always happen, but that's that's another benefit. Another so okay. we we it depends if we have a if we have a beer where um, we kind of think maybe it's it could have used a bit more complexity or Brett character. Uh, sometimes it's rare, but sometimes uh, we'll add we'll add a bit of a, a fresh pitch of Brett uh, to the bottling tank um, and just just to see if, just to make sure there's a healthy, viable amount of Brett in there that can work on whatever's left in the beer. But normally, normally the beer is kind of where we want it, uh, where it's going into the bottle. So we just want a clean, efficient, robust uh, yeast that can tolerate um, high levels of acidity, high levels of alcohol. It's a pretty, it's a pretty harsh environment. Uh, and we, and we do stuff to the yeast to help train it as well before we throw it into those environments. So. Gotcha. Okay. Our method. Our methods have changed. That makes sense. Another question that came up is, has the market driven you to brew a beer style you don't particularly enjoy making? <laughs> so I'll be back in two seconds with the next one, but you answer that one. Mm, that's, that's a good question. That's a good question. Well, I don't know, man. I've never screamed so much as I have making New England IPA, but I, 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 I love the beer style. I, I appreciate the beer style. I've heard brewers. I've heard. I've heard brewers talk shit about New England IPA, um, and I and I get it. I, I know where they're coming from. Um, and um, we we were just sad more than anything when we weren't putting any out on the market. We're just like, oh man, what a bummer. Um, but we've never like even when we weren't making them we were never like that's stupid beer style we don't like that it's a, it's an unbelievable beer style how how they came yeah. up with the technique like it is the hardest it is the hardest beer to brew i i have to say um i have i have like yeah like i said i've i've never screamed so much as i have probably um working through the years of trials and even on an ongoing basis it's new england ipa is never it's never a fait accompli. It's never a done deal, a sure thing. It's always like, you know, does it need more hops? Should we have more hops? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, what's the aftertaste like? Is it is it burning? What's going on? Like, it's it's there's there's so many things you have to do to make that beer drinkable, and and our and ours are ours are in constant. You know, we're constantly trying to improve them. We 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 know that we need to improve that. All of our beers. It's just a constantly never-ending trying to improve our beers. We're not just brewing recipes going, yep, that uh, can't get any better. And there's nothing to do on that one. We're always trying to – always changing one parameter. Okay, that worked. It didn't work. Okay, let's change this parameter. Let's try this. Let's try this. Constantly. Like we're not 100% happy with any beers we put out. Um, so New England IPA is the one that has given me the most like – gray hairs for sure over the last <laughs> few years I but bet. it but it's just it's just because it's it's the, it's unbelievable if you think about it it really is unbelievable how, the volume of hops that get put into that beer 
and the fact that at the end of it all, it's still something drinkable. Because like I, like, I, like I said, like, I mean, if, if we tried to do that in six, seven years ago with what we knew then, it, it just wouldn't have worked. You just no. can't, you just can't yeah. do it. There's, there's so many things you need to do in the brew house with your water and, and along the way to make that beer drinkable. It's, it's just kind of unbelievable that people figured it out. And then, but it, it's a lot of work to try and figure it out for yourself. It's a lot of work. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard. I, but yeah, that one. So, but other styles that we've had to brew that we've, well, you know what? I mean, it's kind of like you're excited to brew a certain style the first time. And sometimes even for the first couple of brews. And then sometimes you're just like, you're just like, yeah, no, I'm over it. I no that. It's just not what I done, was thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's just like fuck that beer. We're not doing that ever again. <laughs> and and that beer and that beer goes away and it never comes back. So that's the thing. Like we're we have the luxury of like you know we're all small microbrewers. Um, you know we're we're we 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 can essentially do what we want and you know it's we want to we want to enjoy what we're brewing and 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 be enthused about it. Um. If, if a beer, if a beer isn't turning out the way we wanted, or we just kind of like, you know, you're just over it. Like, like how fast the market was over brute IPA. Yeah. was just, yeah, it's crazy. It was funny. It just made me laugh. I was just like, I was like, damn, yeah, we're, we're over it too. And the market's over. It's like, we're all over that, like in short order. <laughs> and it was just like to hell with that. And you'll never see that beer from our brewery again. And that's, and, and that's the way it yet. goes. Yeah. But it, but, but the run-up to it was super fun because it's like you're reading about yeah. it in the in the magazines and it's like, oh, there's this shit happening in California and and it was at San Diego at a brew pub and, he, and it's just like people, it's, it was like the next coming of IPA and and so you got to read about it. Now it's a technical challenge. How the hell are they doing this? What are, the, what are these enzymes? How, when are they adding them? Uh, how are they balancing a beer that's at zero Play-Doh with all these hops? And so it's really fun. You get swept up in the challenge of it. Um, and then you kind of do a few iterations and then it becomes, ah, oh, it's pretty, it's okay. It's pretty drinkable. And then all of a sudden you're just like, yeah, that's the end of that. Right. On to the next one. <laughs> We're done. But, but no, we have, we have, we have like good, obviously good feelings about the beers we brew or we wouldn't brew them. Like yeah. even like, like we're, I don't know, there's maybe, there's maybe one or two brands we're thinking of dropping eventually. Um, just beer styles that are, are not that popular anymore. But, but by the same token, it's like we don't brew that much of them that it's not like it's going to open up all this fermentation capacity anyway. So why not just keep brewing them? You know, if you're only brewing them like every two months or something, like where's the harm in that? It's, uh, it, and it's And it does provide nice diversity in the beers you offer. And to those, you know, those, those hardcore fans of this beer style this particular beer style it offers them a choice that's widely widely distributed so it's it's really hard to know when to kind of let go of a, a brand or a beer um you know there's there's your there's your personal reasons and then there's obviously the market i mean you can never you can never ignore the market but some some beers you put out are are, are more for you and something you get out of them and then obviously other beers there's uh there's more of a market pull let's say that's involved so Mm. Ideal really was saying so. No, no, we don't. no more bitter. The Brett bitter. That was a good beer. That was a good. Uh, beer. He just said <laughs> so. No more bitter. I guess. 
I, I think that's what he means. Yeah. No more, the Brett bitter they did. No more. Oh, the Brett, the Brett bitter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect example. Again, like we're trying to figure out, um, British beer styles. Cause let's be honest. I mean, how many beers, how many beers a few hundred years ago, if it was fermenting in Oak, how many of them wouldn't have had Brett? Like, yeah, I mean, exactly. they probably would have all had Brett. Right. Um, so we yeah. figured, a bitter, a nice estuary British yeast fermented with bread. It was it was kind of an interesting concept, and um, there were certain people great. that there were certain people that got it. They they liked it. They appreciated it. Um, but it's it's a little bit it's a little bit quirky. We admit. Yeah. Um, it it would be maybe more fun to 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 move that beer over to the clean side and actually do like a real bitter. Kind of like the beer mm-hmm. that we first brewed as homebrewers and, and and that we drank, you know, copious amounts of when we lived in the UK. Maybe try that. That would be kind of fun to come full circle and and try and brew that style of beer, like a like a low alcohol bitter, uh, but in a can. I'm here you know, for clean it. side. <laughs> that's it, right? It's 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 been <laughs> something that's kind of like, could we do it? Like, would would anyone buy it? Like, we just don't know. Like, it's one of those things. Probably. Which, it's hard yeah. to tell these days, really. It, well, you know, I mean, dude, I mean, look at, look at, it's, it's so, we're so, it's so driven by IPA and specifically New England IPA, the market these days. But um, I, I like, I like the, um, I like the Pilsners because we've been saying, we've been saying, you know, for, for a few years now, you know, this year is going to be the year of the Pilsner. It's going to be the year of the Pilsner. And it, it never really like from our perspective, it never really panned out. Like Pilsners are, are great. Like they're, they're a wonderful part of the, our portfolio of beers, but they don't come anywhere near the sales volume of uh, Yakima or, or New England IPA. Um, But some of the ones we've done recently, like the, the New Zealand pills, the NZ pills, um, that's kind of like, I don't know. It's almost, it's almost creating a bit of a bridge because those hops are, they're not like the Kazbek hops you guys had earlier with the Nolan right. profile and herbal and grassy and they're, you know, they're punchy, they're punchy New Zealand hops. They're, they're aromatic, it's, you know, and, um, you know, you're taking, you're taking, you know, a bit of IPA and, and you're, you're mixing it with that base, base Pilsner. And, you know, that, that's a direction that is, is, is super, super fun and interesting. And, and, um, is, is a nice bridge in both directions maybe for, for hardcore new England IPA drinkers, they could come over to the Pilsner side and, mm-hmm. and maybe the Pilsner drinkers could, could, could appreciate, you know, something that's a bit more assertively hopped. So, um, you know, personally, I'd like to maybe do a few more of those. Um, and, and that one in particular seems, seems to have, uh, seems to have been appreciated. Um, so, so yeah, we'll, we'll see, right. Like, um, for sure something sessionable for the summer i'm here for it <laughs> do you want to uh wrap it up craigie boy yes i know you, you folks <laughs> early boy so first thing we need to get the thumbnail so i'm going to take a screenshot all right i'm going to hold up some uh products because you know here for the marketing all right let me see let me see by the way this double ipa is great we didn't talk about it but it's basically like the new england ipa just ramped up nice and dank which one mm-hmm. The lutein, the lutein. Yeah, well, that 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 features Idaho seven hops. Oh, that's my favorite. I love that. They're, shit. they're quite they're quite different. Yeah, they're quite punchy. Yeah. You ready for the thumbnail? Let me take a screenshot. 
you want me to do something? Yeah, do specifically. Yeah, do something. Do something entertaining. Whatever you, whatever you feel is right. There you go. Ready? Uh, Are you ready? Just look like a buffoon, maybe. I don't know. Oh, that is gorgeous. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Oh, that is stunning. That is gorgeous. Idaho Seven Hops. I love Idaho Seven Hops. Um, but no, Dan, this is great. What I was saying to to you guys earlier and to Noah was that um. I know tonight we focused on uh, the you know a couple of crispy boys, couple of haze, which is it was just fantastic because I hadn't had any of these, and as always, I'm incredibly impressed by everything you guys are doing. I was suggesting maybe I would be absolutely stoked to do this again in like the fall. Um, we could focus on some of the other new stuff, some of the wild stuff, you know. Um, yeah, and do yeah. it again. I'm man. sorry I didn't get you any bottles. Yeah. Oh, bro, please don't apologize no, at all. Okay. Um, yeah. I just appreciate you taking the time to do it. Um, but I, I think this is cool. I definitely, you know, you guys are doing some fantastic stuff. You actually changed the game in Quebec. Um, it's great to finally get the story documented here on the, on the podcast. So, you know, it's here permanently so people can hear it. Um, but I think we should definitely, you know, catch up regularly because you guys are just always doing some awesome stuff, brother. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks, man. Um, Thanks. Thanks to both of you. Man, genuine pleasure. Where can all the fine, attractive individuals uh, watching and listening right now find you both online? Whoever would like to go first. Dan, since you're in the where middle. Where can they what? Sorry? Where, where can they find you online? Like what's the website? What's your social media handles? Um, well, uh, Instagram, Facebook is uh, Micro Lacastor. Um, website, microlacastor.ca. Um, we're, we're pretty low key on the social media, but we, we really, uh, we don't, we don't post every day or all the time. We really just announce like, uh, when beers are coming out, we found that that's kind of what people want from us. Um, that's where we, we see people getting engaged is really when you have a new beer or a returning beer, uh, seasonal beer. So that's really all our posts are about is like, Hey, this is out now. This is where it's going. So if people want to know where kind of some of the more limited releases are the best the best thing is to is to follow uh, either instagram or facebook um and and that's that's how you'll you'll stay on top of the news really i love it that's perfect uncle uh uncle noah where can everyone find you man um on uh beerism.ca the website and on instagram beerism.ca and facebook just beerism and sometimes here with you yeah i think you're back again next friday <laughs> Yes, I am. It's true. Noah's back in the building. Um, boys, stick around just for a sec. Afterwards, we'll say goodbye. I'll just wrap this up here. But, uh, boy, thank you both for uh, taking the time. This was fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, everyone, thank you as well to everyone commenting. It's a great bunch of comments. I didn't get to read them all out. I apologize because the conversation was really great, so I didn't want to cut it off. So no disrespect, but I did bring everything up on the screen so people can see it. Um, everyone, thank you so much right for on. watching. And listening, if you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up, hit subscribe below, hit the notification bell so you know when the new stuff drops. Follow us on social media at BAOS Podcast and check out the long form audio because you can hear look at these pretty guys right here. You can t- hear people talking about craft beer every week. We are back next, I think, Thursday and Friday at 9 p.m. It's a busy time. Check out our Instagram. We always post what it is. We'll see you guys next week. Peace.